Hello and welcome to Keyframes, a podcast about anime. I'm your host, Ben Halliburton. With me today is Andy. Hey, hey, hey. And Duncan. Hello, all. Last month, we were talking about the end of a season. This month, we're talking about the beginning. You know the pattern. You love it. You can't stay away. It is the beginning of the summer 2023 anime season. I am predictably watching basically nothing, and they are predictably watching basically everything. Um, but I'll still get my licks in somehow, probably because I'm watching Rent-A-Girlfriend again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, 10 years ago, this would have been basically everything, but now we're like barely a yeah. third. Yeah, because there's a lot. Of, there's just a lot more shit out there. Sorry, yeah. I shouldn't say that as someone who doesn't even watch that much. Uh, but of, of also, what's but also, the other problem is there's a lot more shit, and a lot of it is isekai. And I'm like, mm. fuck, watching isekai. I'm not watching that shit. I'm not watching. Well, thankfully, Duncan. Duncan Duncan's one. not that principal. Are you watching the refrigerator isekai? Oh no, no. you're watching Jobless Reincarnation. Yeah. Vending machine isekai, but, but vending uh, machine isekai can get to fuck. I don't even care if it's good. Like, I don't like. <laughs> What's it going to be about? I guess we should, someone should watch it. Maybe we can get John on here, except I'll, he would resent I'll that watch comment. This, I, will, I promise by next month I will watch an episode and get back to you. Uh, <laughs> sure. like, yeah, shit. Uh, <laughs> no, or I'll be like, I've watched it all. It's the best thing ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> guys, guys, Isekai is fresh again. <laughs> Inanimate object Isekai is the future. <laughs> Inject that isekai. Forget being a spider. <laughs> Forget being a slime. There's one now which is like be a sword, which is basically fucking. Uh, it's trash. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's talk it's about. Basically, the magic talking sort of. Yeah. Speaking of trash, actually, yeah. we'll talk about Oku more detailed because the whole thing came out on Netflix, and I watched all of it, and I think Duncan did, and Andy made a gesture. I, uh, I but... watched the first movie. And I felt yes, like that was quite a generous gesture because it's it's mm. a it's a pretty complete story on its own. We'll yeah. get into it after the yeah, break, along with sweet. some other stuff. Mm. But to start with um to start with a nice gesture, uh, Rent a Girlfriend has a third season. <laughs> it is about chronic chronic dipshit Kazuya is uh, trying to run a Kickstarter for the girl he's simping, who is uh-huh. his hired platonic girlfriend to fool his evil girlfriend who ex-girlfriend who breaks up with guys just for fun that and he's not also, a complete loser and then also his actual girlfriend uh yes who, who i am secretly rooting for because i i you've always been team ruka <laughs> but also it's like he's such a piece of shit to her and he's such a piece of shit like to the, everybody though <laughs> the last episode he was like, I can't tell her that I'm starting a Kickstarter campaign with Chizuru. And it's like, why? Why can't you tell her? Like, why, why not? Why have you got to keep these secrets, bro? Like, the, 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 the trying thing about this, uh, about this show, as we've discussed repeatedly, this is becoming our like Sakura quest of, <laughs> of the 2020s. But, um, but the trying thing is that nothing ever happens, but we're just stuck in this idiot's head where mm. he's constantly explaining what he thinks is happening, which is always this like complete paranoid delusion. Like, the big thing is not the kickstart in this season. It's that this like otaku zoomer girl uh, yeah, who rules. Uh, she's, she is she yeah. is like the breath of fresh air this series needed. And this we is said that season... last season too with like other formula mix-ups. It's because no, she's no, in, she's think... induced and she's like stop talking, <laughs> stop talking so loud out in the back porch. And of course that has Kazuya in his spiral. He's like, how will I ever talk to Chizuru again? It's answer, you invite her over. Your, your neighbors. She's been uh, in your apartment right. multiple times. But he like has to like 
Well, lie, and then he like meets her at school <laughs> and lies to her about like who Chizuru is and what's going on because he thinks that maybe she'll talk to his friends and they'll figure out that Chizuru is his rental girlfriend and not his real girlfriend, which shouldn't even be a problem because he has a real girlfriend who's just as hot. Mm. Anyway, um, also, also, Yamori yeah. is an awesome but, otaku who mm. who understands the plot and is explaining it to Kazuya, <laughs> and I don't think it will cause any forward <laughs> movement because that's not the thing this show does. But yeah. at least. They're tempting me with the idea I, that she's like, she's like, yeah, he like, she likes you, dude. Like, would she put up with this bullshit if she didn't like you? And he's like, oh, she doesn't understand the situation. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, no, but then she's like, no, she can't. And then he just like has like ten fever wanks off screen about it. Like, it makes me. Oh God. But also, what really pisses me off, like when Chizuru comes over to his house, there's like, <laughs> there's like a good three to five minutes of him talking about tidying, and then when it cuts to him finishing tidying. It didn't look clean at all. And I'm just like, <laughs> what was your tidy? You still got like a That's bucket the of show in a nutshell. You got, you got <laughs> you got a bucket of cum tissues in a bin still, like next, next to your, to your computer. And I'm just like, <laughs> dude, what the fuck? It must reek in there. Holy shit! No wonder nobody wants they, to go in. They've commented that it smells really bad in there, and yeah. I assume I I was like, oh, they probably mean the trash. But no, you're right, Andy. He's just always he's sweating uh-huh. and beating off constantly. And um, uh, yeah. I mean, talking about That's season so two. That's so tight I so I did I did blast through all of season two to get it to be. It, oh my god! Did you get brain damage? What happened? <laughs> actually sort nothing of, happened nothing <laughs> happened but I, I actually ended up sort of like sumi i don't again is like uh who are you why are you here like a weird xp who also falls in love with kazia but i was kind of like talking about backing ruka's um corner like ruka's kiss i thought was quite was quite bittersweet when she that's one of the, that's the only good episode of the yeah. season you're you're 100 right to identify it as like the only time anything happened yeah and and like she'll turn around and be like i thought my kiss would taste sweet but it just tastes of alcohol and i'm just like yeah that's real i'm sorry like you've you're, you're backing the wrong horse and it but he but he brings her heart alive andy i know like for some reason she has a heart condition that is cured by the most like unlikable piece uh, of shit in all of japan and, and, and it's uh i'm just like i'm like why why are you still dragging her along like why what are you getting out of this apart from not wanting to make another person feel bad like which i guess goes a long way but fuck me and yeah and luckily mammy is just in the background now i I don't even know why they occasionally shoot like cut to her but the one thing i do like about season two sorry is the ending where they're all four of them uh ruka chizuru sumi and mammy are all like having fun times out like there's stills of them in like a barbecue like doing little fucking uh fireworks and all this shit and i just have this idea that at the end of every episode they just get together and chat shit about how dumb yes. Kazuya is and that gives me immense joy <laughs> that's a that's a honestly i this is something i implied when we talked about monogatari series but like an anime where a guy thinks he's running a harem but most of the show is just the girls being like this fucking guy why have why have none yeah. of us kicked him out of his life, <laughs> like out of our lives? And uh, Absolutely. yeah, he's just yeah. Sumi, why why is Sumi there? She's she's awkward and mm-hmm. awkward and and but like emotionally stronger than Kazuya is, but somehow like finds him like a great beacon of strength. Oh my god! Um, I even like mommy. I think it's just it, mommy is literally hanging around so that at some point she can tell everybody like, oh, Chizuru's not his real girlfriend. 
because she like that was her plot all last season was just like wait a second i mean granted she's been going wait a second since she dumped him for fun after dating him for two months uh but yeah. and then was and then was openly disappointed that he like wasn't a shattered husk from that so yeah and, and the only thing i can think of in season three going on with it is yai mori must be like awesome like she's a great character as she is introduced i was like i'm instantly gonna like her because she's pure fucking like Zuma trash tier <laughs> goblin level, and I loved it. Oh, yeah. And and now I'm just I'm just hoping that she carries the show because the manga's still ongoing. Insanely, the manga's still ongoing. And I somehow ca- I can't believe. Yeah, I can't believe that the 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 manga has the ability to have a relationship and her him starting to go out with Chizuru and then continuing the story. That doesn't seem like what this manga is going to be. Um, yeah. I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. <laughs> yeah, I no, I I have no idea where they're going. I, I appreciate, in addition to Yaimori, who, as you said, is great, when she's like crying because she's so moved by the master's story, <laughs> and then she's like, she's like, oh great, cry selfie, and was like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. just being like the the total like shameless. Millennials parody of a zoomer. It, it, it really, it that really works for me. And also the fact that like he fucked up a Kickstarter in a very believable way. He got some initial interest and was like, "Great, this will run itself." And then has lost all of his backers with two weeks to go because he didn't post any updates. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I don't think anything's gonna happen. I think he's largely gonna like Yamori is gonna try to Cyrano de Bergerac this relationship together and she's gonna discover that Kazuya cannot do anything except melt down over important information and what he should do about it even if he's being literally told what to do it by someone who seems way more genre savvy than him but, but yeah I but also uh, then somehow she still finds that endearing uh and then falls for him <laughs> I, god i hope not I, but yeah you're probably right i do find i do like this sort of semi like researched bit about kickstarter i feel that that's quite interesting i don't believe that there is a guy on like the kickstarter um side who is like working their campaign with them I don't. I mean, I, I'm sure happened. they like to think that, but they like the public to think that that's how Kickstarters are handled. That you can't just be like, "Hey, I'm gonna spay my dog. Here's a Kickstarter <laughs> for thousand dollars. I'm gonna make potato salad." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bat that as well. Worth it. Um, God. <laughs> um, yeah, like it. It that was interesting. I, I actually am enjoying the third season, and I didn't hate the second season, but it didn't go anywhere fast. <laughs> is that is that a thing which is just happening in a lot of shows now that, that they they want to insert a genre savvy character it's like last season we we were watching um oshinoko and in they throw uh memcho who knows all the tropes of 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 idols and provides like a running and commentary to everything that's going on and here you are telling me, oh yeah, this is like an otaku who's like commenting on the main romance. And I'm going, I feel like I've seen this again. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, think it's a way to it's a way to fix a, a story that's not going anywhere. But true. by have because if all the if you've made all your characters really stupid and now they either have to get suddenly smart through some excellently written scene, or you just introduce a character who has read lots of manga and flatters otaku that they know something about romance because of all the all the romance love yeah. comedies they've watched. I don't know. It does seem very common. And 
I don't usually like it that much, but Yamori is just the old, like, the fact that she's actually entertained by Kazuya, I thought I would find annoying, mm. but it's actually, because just, like, she's completely honest. She calls him master because he's just such a master class loser. <laughs> that, like, how could you, how could you get yourself in this position? You must be, be truly a genius. And so she's calling him Shisho yeah. all the I time. Guess, <laughs> I guess in a weird way, it's sort of adjacent to a sort of what goes on in Isekai, because Isekai, it's always, oh, someone who knows all the conventions of the genre yes. suddenly finds themselves Good in the story mm-hmm. and this is this is they're sort of our perspective characters they're going in going oh yeah i know i know what's going on here and uh speaking of that uh, i've been watching season yes. two of jobless reincarnation and honestly i really wish i could hate this show but it continues to be very good um like it's <laughs> it is one of the foundational uh isekai uh light novels which has mm-hmm. finally made its way to uh, screen a couple of years ago and had a studio basically formed to make it and they produced a very very good looking show with a absolutely detestable main character and i know plenty of people who two to three episodes in the first season just went no i think Why i think i'm done detestable here. again because um, he is a Ooh, he's a he's a he's a hikimori pervert um like isn't he, he like specifically a lolly we we see him blurrily looking at pictures of something we don't know exactly what it is it's implied it's probably that um mm, and but right. it's like it like famously he he when he's first reincarnated it's like oh look uh, my brother's gonna breastfeed me hey and like that's a pretty fucked up start to something which which can i think say jesus which can put anyone off and i think the thing is that the whole genre is like the attacker rehabilitation in genre like it's it's how they go out into the world and get better and and i'm kind of really glad like this is something where it isn't just him marching forward smoothly without setbacks that this is someone who had a a lifetime of fucking up his own life and breeding terrible, terrible habits about the way he saw himself and saw the world. And just restarting in a, another world doesn't fix all that. Honestly, like the only character who in the sort of anime canon who I immediately think of when I'm comparing uh, Rudius Grey Rats to the way he relates to his own damage and his just faltering attempts to get through it is uh uh shinji akari and like (laughs) it's he is so fucked up and like it's (laughs) and it's not just because he's had his heart broken because a fiery haired uh twin-tailed redhead dumped him um it's because he has his past traumas and people go out their way to help him to be kind to him, to show him a way he, he can be better than himself. And that does help him. But there are setbacks. And sometimes he backslides. Sometimes after a trauma, things get worse. He, he's falling back to old habits because it's the path of least resistance. And it feels very flawed and very human. And that's not something you normally get in isekai characters. So it mm. makes it... Mm-hmm. That feels like... 
something which we're not allowed to acknowledge even at times uh just that within the wider cultural thing people always have to be heroes or villains they can't be a, someone who's trying to improve themselves and sometimes they're getting it right and sometimes they're failing and it, it helps that visually it's still a very good looking series it's not quite the highs of the first season which was uh a moment to mo could be moment to moment very beautiful it's it's more workmanlike now but it still has the chops when it picks up its tempo and, and it's got that strength of some some action shows where it has like a very clear vocabulary of what is and isn't possible with its magic systems and it, uh, the the capabilities of people within its world like you like when you see the situation someone's in, you know whether or not this is going to be easy for them or it's going to be a tough fight. And it, it isn't just their power level rises or falls to whatever's appropriate. Um, it feels like consistent. They, that the characters feel consistent. The mechanics feel consistent. It's good. Um, and just seeing him heartbroken and depressed again, but in a better place to recover from that than he was when all this started. That's just a, a an interesting story to be told, and I, I think I'll probably stick with it. Is he written to be purposely hateful, or do you think it's... Um, a lack of self-awareness. Yeah. <laughs> He's written to be both pathetic, but also... You know how Trigger has this habit of writing characters who are sort of otaku, who, um, but also living their best otaku life um I, I, I guess the thing is a lot of it is his own viewpoint of himself like early on he thinks oh yeah i can just act i i can just act like a complete cad here i can just be an absolute and utter shit because i've got a new life and it doesn't matter i can just do what i like and at some point he he and he just acts like the the most creepy otaku perv possible and then he, someone actually helps him to get past one of the things which had um, made him a hikamori, and immediately it's like, oh, uh, I guess I see these people as people now. Um, and oh, nice. I've heard a lot of people say like, yeah, he's a horrible piece of shit, but I, I don't know whether it's something that they've, it, it was purposefully written to be a, hot, a troublesome person, or whether. Um, the author just wanted to write self-insert like well, lolly porn, and then realised there's actually something to this genre. No, I think I think if you <clears throat> when you make someone uh, a a hikamori who is like massively overweight and is abused, but is constantly arguing with his family and like is completely dunked on by someone in the first few minutes for how he's acting towards someone is just completely self-deceiving and self-deceited um he's meant to be something someone we don't want to be when we see him in in the world he comes from and when he is transported to the new world we're supposed to partly it's, it's kind of the lucky pervert trope to an, a degree it's like yeah. oh uh he's just getting to do all these things which everyone really wants to quote unquote um, yeah. um but that's not lucky pervert that's just being a sex pest i mean lucky perverts are sex pests. no lucky perverts <laughs> lucky perverts are like there's a gust in the wind and i see a woman's panties i do i do think that it's just a problem with 
a lot like video games have off and on, I think anime often struggles with like the protagonist problem that we we spend the most time with the protagonist unless you're working overtime to let the audience, especially the less media literate parts of the audience, know that like this guy is not aspirational and that his triumphs aren't something that you're supposed to, you know, vicariously get a thrill out of people just automatically start rehabilitating even the worst people like all the mm. all the fandom around goblin slayer and that sort oh, of God. stuff or rising but, of shield hero which is literally just a persecution complex dressed up as an isekai <laughs> but i mean even like goblin slayer i can't talk for the other one but goblin slayer like the main guy has a goal and that is to kill goblins and it just turns out that the Author really wants to draw the goblins fuck a load of poor defenseless women. Um it's it's not like Goblin Slayer, which was just like, yeah, sexual violence, yay. Yeah. Anyway, talking about moving on um from, yes. from stuff that um you people hate to another thing that is full of hate. Masamune kun's revenge R. Um the second series of a uh romantic comedy i guess that i watched and i don't think i talked about because i didn't enjoy it um <laughs> and yet <laughs> and yet we are again. somehow it got a sequel uh masamune kun's revenge is a story about a guy unsurprisingly called masamune masamune who absolutely despises a girl called aki adaki adagaki who um is a an Ojo summer, and as a kid, he was fat, and she called him Pig's Foot. He was in love with her. She called him Pig's Foot and broke his heart, and so she he ran away. Then over the intervening years, uh, got buff, and then joined her school and enacted a program. I think it's called uh, Love and Death Regime or something like that, where he plans to make Aki fall in love with him confessed to him and then he wanted to break up with her so that she could he could then break her heart and um if that sounds bad it's because it is uh, um uh. it follows them and then also aki's butler uh yoshino who's probably the better best character but also has a dark mysterious past um and i really didn't care for the first series and now the second <laughs> series is about and I'm like, well, I gotta watch it. And so they go to France on a school trip because, of course, they do because they're the rich of school. Course. And they can go to France and they go to the Louvre and then they meet um, probably a, a much, much better character, a uh, called Muriel Besson, who is a French manga artist who wants to know about Japanese love. So she follows them oh. about and forces them to hold hands. And that bit is quite good. And and then I forget about everyone else, including her, uh, Masamune's mum, who's like a weird lolly mum who looks really young. But there's so much that I forget of this season. Apparently, there was a guy called Kanetsu Gaso who is now Aki's fiance, but is only Aki's fiance because he wants her money when they get married so that she, he can help his sister. But Kanetsugu is also a girl in disguise because... Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, I fucking hated the first season. I don't know why I watched it all, just because it was something to do whilst running. Uh, but 
as you can tell, I'm back in the gym now because COVID's over. So I guess I'm watching crap uh, and I hate myself. So <laughs> this is this is on the backburn. I will watch it all and I don't think it will go anywhere. Um, but it could, but it could. But it could, but it won't. Uh, and yeah. it, the weird thing is, is it's like, what the, the thing I will say about this show is I don't like anyone. I don't like anyone <laughs> in the series and I don't care for any of the relationships or at all what's going to happen. So they could get together. Don't give a fuck. They could not get together. Really don't give a fuck. Like it, the only thing that's going for it is that I don't care for anyone. And, and I also don't think the author really cares for anyone because it really feels like it's trying to be like five other rom-com type uh, harem shows. But the twist on this thing is that everybody hates everyone and it's fucked up and bizarre and I don't like it. And then I guess we'll move on to something I am liking. Uh, Zom 100. It's pretty yeah. good. I it quite is. like it. I would say this. It's slow. It, it's done. You found it slow? Yeah. It did two oh. episodes of nothing. The first episode was really depressing. Zom 100 is about a guy called Akira Tendo who joins a black company, uh, which is like a, a company that forces overwork. People don't get rest. People don't get sleep. And, and he just basically has worked to death for five years, falls asleep, wakes up. It's a zombie apocalypse and then realizes that he doesn't have to go to work. So he's really fucking happy and his mm. whole demeanor changes and then writes and writes a, uh, a bucket list of a hundred things he wants to do before he dies. That bucket list is repeated in both episode at the end of episode one and at the end of episode two. I don't know why they no. did it twice. Padding, padding. It's because he's writing it as he goes along, Andy. He has ten things in the first episode, and he's got it to about no, thirty. No, because he writes it again in episode two. He writes ep- the first not one again in episode two. And you know what? It's very good. What I love about it is pretty. It's fucking gorgeous. I love that Zom One Hundred does this thing with. Because it's through the eyes of Akira, who's really happy that he can finally, after seeing being in like this black and white world of depression and being worked to death and having no, a feeling like he has no like, um, uh, what's that word like? Hope, hope, hope. It's future. hope, future. It's <laughs> it's hope, but it's also that feeling of um, like uh, like he can affect the world. What's that word I'm thinking of? Agency? agency. Agency. Thank you. Agency. Like he has no agency on his life and it goes black and white. And that's really quite sad. And then he, and then the zombies come and all the blood is like multicolored and I fucking love it. Like there's people get exploded and they blow up into like different paintball colors. It's, it's like the anime is made with like the paintball mod from Goldeneye on. <laughs> I fucking love it. It's like it. they did the, the Pleasantville trick or the Schindler's List trick, but with zombie blood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or like, or uh, uh, more anime example, like Danganronpa like style blood. Um, and I fucking love that. But the first episode, it, it introduced... The first episode was good. I like that. The second episode introduced a new character, Shizuka. And then they replayed the same events again, but from her perspective, which I didn't give a fuck about. Like, like it, it's slow, man. It's fucking slow. But it's still 
it still is I mean, good. It's, it's clearly introducing its core cast over the first couple of episodes. It's taken but, a like, fucking while. I'm, I'm like, happy for it to sp- spend some time and and for it, like for ca- us to actually get a perspective of how the characters see the world. For like as you say, Andy, the part of what makes the first episode great is that we 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 get this this explosion of yeah. color as he's he's suddenly freed from the sh- from his his work at this black company, and, and it was delightful. Absolutely delightful. I, I loved it. It was it was such a great first episode. It was a really really strong first episode. Just on that f- that first episode, like part of what makes it so good is it immediately not acknowledges that everyone knows what a zombie is. Like this isn't one of those things <laughs> yeah. where no yeah. one has any idea what a zombie is. It's like he's watching a zombie film and it's like as oh. he falls asleep. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think one of the things which is worth um, bringing up is like it has one key subversion to the classic zombie post-apocalypse story most zombie films or games about survival instead this is about living it's about acknowledging that no one's getting out alive he he makes this Mm -hmm. this bucket list with the it's as you say it's 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 very specifically it's a hundred things i want to do before i become a zombie like there's it's right there and it's not ending well, but we can have fun. He can have fun on the way. He can, he can actually live his life. He can. Everything's going to come crashing down around him, so he may as well just go out and live his best life. And that's what he does. And mm-hmm. like that's a really refreshing change from the normal, all survival, all day to day grind of most zombie things, where it's just, oh, we've got to make it to the next thing. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. we're going to track down by the zombies, and they're going to get us. And like. <laughs> I agree. I love that. I, I absolutely love that. But what I didn't love was when it introduced Shizuka, who's the theme, who's like the other, the turns out she is a knowledgeable person, an agency who knew about the zombies and is now fighting for survival. I didn't need to see the same interaction with her and Akira again, because I already figured that out when I first fucking watched it, because I'm not an idiot. I, I like, think one thing, Andy, <laughs> I, I'm going to say, I, I will bet, good money that she isn't like they've deliberately been ambivalent about that i don't think she's working for a secret agency which knows all about the zombies i think she's just working for someone who has an office in america and it's just framed it so there's enough ambiguity that you can think that but in fact she's just an actress or something that um but she's a doomsday she's a doomsday prepper you know that she has like books but on her, zombies res- her research has, material that as might zombie. be her hobby yeah yeah her, exactly her research material is zombie films it's not it's no, not no no there's books as well she's got books and stuff like there were there was a lot of there was a, there was more than just the zombie films there was a lot of books on there as well and uh, there was a lot of like there was a, it was in japanese granted but there was stuff about like survival and uh like the books had names which were like related <laughs> to being a prepper um because she knew that it was clearly gonna happen um, and I like that she introduced it and it showed you stuff about that world too when she was like looking out with the binoculars and being like that's a watched... fast zombie, slow zombies like recon and recognising what's going on mm. have you watched the I third episode that. yet? I haven't watched the third episode okay. um, I think you'll enjoy the third one more It's uh, yeah. they, they meet his, his best friend uh, from his rugby playing days Kenichiro and it's, it's like a, a th- they parted on, on a bad uh, bad note uh, when they last seen each other um he he basically said to him oh you should just quit your job 
and he just got really angry at him because it seemed like he was having an easy life and so why when you're cruising through life are you telling me to make a hard decision and they'd had an argument and stormed out of this drinking session together and like the idea of that the world's ending you you seek out your your best mate to say dude i'm sorry is this kind of sweet and it's just nice to have like these these two um dumb bros having a a little (laughs) heart to heart and yeah yeah, i think you'll enjoy that that episode a lot it's it's i like it i i I do enjoy it i just think the first two the first the second episode was slow uh and i i'm i was i'm worried that it's going to keep being slow um but it's still enjoyable i still Mm. really like it and i think it might be one of the best things this season if it wasn't for jujitsu kaisen season two Oh, wow. We shall now nicely segue on. Don't really have much to say on it, but it's, it's, it's another. <laughs> it's, it's the another, best. It's, except it's the best. I mean, season one was really fucking good. It did like a very lots of good shonen tropes, great, and it had some really a really lovely fun cast, which again, like the movie. They seem to have thrown away and instead do another prequel. For Can't like... move the plot forward, Andy. <laughs> no, Never no, forward. No, no. Only no, sideways no. or backwards. <laughs> that's that's the Shonen plot. <laughs> yeah, so they've gone back uh, even further than Jujutsu Kaisen Zero. They've gone even further back. Uh, Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, by the way, is the movie. Um, <laughs> this is the opening arc. Um, is is a prequel to how the Jujutsu Kaisen which involves uh, Satoru Gojo uh, and uh, Suguru Geto, uh, who are sort of, again, as in their youth. Uh, you know by this point that Geto turns evil and is part of the evil side, but they are working together as friends, and they have to protect um, this person who is uh, Riko, uh, who is the, like, the shrine maiden who basically is going to take over there's this central body that she's going to become a vessel for this, this will spirit um, so that he can stay alive forever. And it's not really clear on what exactly is going on, but it is clear that Gojo and Ghetto don't necessarily agree with this plan of like basically are you, sacrificing. Have, are you up to date on it or not? Yes, I okay. am. I am very much up to yeah. date with it. Yes. And uh, it's, 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 it was good. Like the, the 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 ending of that third episode was very good. I I was like, wow, okay, didn't see that coming. Uh, I, mm, and I'm surprised you didn't see that coming, but it executed it perfectly. I, I, like, it executed I, I think, it really well. Yeah, I think in the end, for me, everything about JJK comes down to it's it executes it perfectly. The animation mm. is spot on. It has a really good sense for what makes a uh, good powers which are conflicting to each other and it and how someone can sort of who seems as overpowered as um gojo oh, hell gojo can still get his ass kicked <laughs> and also just has a a very likable cast uh knows how to to do banter well and to mm-hmm. have back and forth um but i don't really think it has any central theme or thesis behind it it like it's not like something no. like i i know i occasionally he badmouth chainsaw man last last season but i think i i do think chainsaw man 
does want to say something, whereas JJK doesn't really. It's just having a great time and doing cool action scenes. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it's just pure popcorn and it's really well done popcorn. But yeah. I think that's why I find myself with not much to say about this, this second season other than, yeah, more. Yeah, good. I, <laughs> I agree. I feel that there is some, okay, this, is a, this is a mapper joint, so of course it's going to mm. be beautiful, but there is certainly some scenes which, are, which absolutely astounded me. The one I'm thinking of in particular is there's a shot of... Uh, the main bad guy in this uh, in this prequel arc, uh, Toji Fushiguro, um, mm. and he is in a betting, he's in like a betting parlor watching mm. some horse racing on TV, and the shot is um is so beautiful. It's a shot that is like on the table going through a glass where you can see his like back shoulder, and you see the glass, and then you see the TV which is showing. Um, like horse racing, but it's a perfect like reincarnation of like the CRT TVs. Yeah. And then you still have like, you can see his face and like warped, distorted face on the side of the glass as he's talking. And it's like, fuck, that's gorgeous. Like that must have like, talk about expensive shots for, for no <laughs> real good reason, apart from that they can do it. Yeah. They are and pure they styling at times. So yeah. It's true. And, and I feel that that, really sets up and I also feel that's true of Chainsaw Man a lot as well like Chainsaw has some absolutely outstanding scenes um, yeah I, I agree with you I don't think it's doing anything new or interesting it's just trying to be a good shonen battler um, but I enjoy all the cast and I enjoy it but yeah I don't have much to say on unlike the stuff that I do have to say on about the double production from Gohans okay we're going uh, there <laughs> we're going to Gohans <laughs> That's that's yeah. The girl I like forgot her glasses, and the masterful cat is depressed again today. Are two mm. shows by this? They're not a new studio. They've done stuff before, but not on this sort of level, I guess. I mean, this. I is mean, the first they did. I, I looked up and they did. They did Setokai Yakuin Domo, um, but that was definitely not. It's a. It's a very twitchy gag comedy, not like a well-animated story. Yeah, and, and they, they did they did Handshakers, they did K, they did a lot of fucking K. Uh, K, the seven stories. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. But this feels like, I don't know, it, it feels like this is trying to be something different and new, and I, I fucking hated it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, the, it feels like a press demo for a new piece of technology that they've designed. Yeah, and I, can, so I can see that. Yeah. They've, and, and like, especially like my, um, the masterful cat is depressed again today, but you have a five minute opening shot of like camera zooming around cars and then like a weird GoPro fisheye lens on stuff mm. as, as um, a woman Yikes. walks through an office, but then it's like weirdly following her, but, kind of looking up her legs like up but not in a weird way but then it sort of is in a fisheye lens so people like move or like people move their hand and it looks really weird and and it feels like they put a lot of money to show like this is what we can do with some new technology but it just looks really ugly and this is my problem all the characters look anorexically thin all the all the like all the shots of the backgrounds are all 3D CG and it and it shows because Yeah, there's some bad textures there. 
Like yeah. it, it's it's <laughs> it's like sometimes you'll get um CG backgrounds and they'll be quite well rendered. Uh-huh. And this 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 you can see the textures and it's not not good. And and then I mean let's we'll talk about like let's talk about the girl like forgot her glasses first because yeah, there were some shots in that where her hair is I don't give a fuck about her glasses because her hair is fucking wild. Like at some points it's done up in a bun and it's nice sometimes it's long and it's like it's loose and it just feels like normal hair but then there's other shots in which her hair just grows exponentially for no reason and <laughs> yeah, it, just... it seems like they for when they want to give her bed head it can't just be yeah. oh her hair's a little messy it's got got to become like sleeping beauty and and it's got it, a, it got feels like draggled. it feels like it feels like they've got like some eight some like computer ai like ch- uh, Dali and gone like anime girl with hair and then they've gone anime girl with lots of hair anime girl with like fuck tons of hair and then that's what they've done and they've just like yeah that's great let's animate that and we can just tween it and it'll be beautiful do and you it, have it, any idea if the um, original uh, manga is a, a, like a four coma or if it's a more n- narrative thing because like I part of me wonders if like this is one of those things where like you have something where the original doesn't necessarily have like a strong continuity to it and then it becomes adapted to, into a thing and they go uh we're still going to follow those uh, design decisions even though there's no actual continuity in the sort of stuff we're adapting but i i watched the first episode of this as well and i found it possible like i don't i, don't, I think like there were some stock shots which yeah i had a reaction to it. it's like oh yeah you're going a bit too hard on that and i part of me though by the end part of me was like well you're certainly committed to this like it, mm. it's, it's like it, at least you're not sort of just like oh we're just going to throw in this one swooping uh fisheye lens skater cam uh shot and then the rest can be normal it's like nope whole thing it and it does but it dips it noticeably disappears in the second episode the second okay. episode they do it a fuck ton less um and i don't like it for what it's worth on your manga question it's not a four panel okay it is a straight up manga it feels like it might be mm. um a twitter manga like the chapters aren't uh, very long okay. yeah. but um it's definitely been put in a book um it might not be a twitter manga i might be wrong on that um but yeah it's uh I thought the actual, like, plotting within it wasn't terrible. I think, like, the the manga's probably not a a bad time, uh, but I don't don't think they necessarily do a good job of actually telling a story. I think think this is one The second episode does the same erection joke three times in a row, and I'm like, Christ, why am I watching this? And then I watch the third. But you're right, sorry, the story is going, like... The girl I like forgot her glasses is not going anywhere fast, and I don't think it's very interesting. I, I feel that it, especially after watching something like The Dangers of My Heart, which hopefully we'll get to in the second half, mm-hmm. like, I don't think this is doing anything interesting. And it also you- reminds me of some other sh- shows as well. Um, like, uh, not the girl, the author who did Denki Guy did that other show about. Uh, um, Don't worry, it's not important. Um, it's not important, no. But yeah, I think like I didn't mind some of the jokes in the first episode. Like it, it's in some ways like 
you could stop at the end of the first episode and that's that's all all you need it's like the end of the the whole thing is like oh when she doesn't bring her glasses she's short sight she's incredibly short sighted and so she 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 goes close to him and he gets embarrassed and like the final little like joke of the first episode is him going up to her and being like oh i, I, I will i i won't I won't act all strange cuz i'm i'm cl- cl- close to her uh, i'll just just try and pretend everything's normal and and then her going at the end. Oh, actually, I just was wearing contact lenses today. I thought that was I enjoyed that, yeah. and that's that's like a good pun. But you can't go in. They evidently don't go anywhere from that, and it just ends up the same. And you you've you've also watched the masterful cat is depressed yeah, but again. One, today. One, one more thing. One more thing. Okay, I, cool. I would say that Aharonsan. That's the one I'm thinking of. Aharonsan okay. is the same type of comedy, but Aharonsan does it better and is more interesting and is funnier. Like nothing of nothing of the, the only thing that made me laugh was the absolutely wild animation style, but I was laughing at it, mm-hmm. which is not a good thing. But going on to the uh, to the cat, the masterful cat is depressed again. That is at least something more interesting, if not the same weirdly gross animation style, which is about a woman um, Saku who picks who adopts a cat who then turns out to be massive. And then, all, and then makes her like food for her work, and then gets really upset when she doesn't go home. Um, and that's it. But it's funnier and better. It like the the premise seems like someone mashed away with the house husband and uh, dragon maid together, and said, yes, "Do you like yes, cats?" Please. And then it was like, "Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> we're here now. Yeah, we these three circles are combined, and my my readership is there." Um, like so, when I saw the the preview shots for these two shows, like I sort of felt like the style would fit the masterful cats better because, mm. like, if you're show if you're having this camera sort of zoom along the floor, that's kind of like an animal going at below human leg height, and I thought, oh yeah, maybe that's an interesting di- directorial decision, but no, evidently not. There's no consistency to it at all. They just do it whenever the hell they like. Um, yeah, there's and I like. It also works because it's got a a smaller room to develop. Like it's got her. A lot of the drama takes place in either the work office mm-hmm. or the or her or her house, her apartment. Mm-hmm. And her apartment is is weird. Like the art on the wall feels like fucking like. How can we get this royalty-free art and just put it on the wall? Like it, it's it's weird. I, I really don't like it. And and it, it all and the music that they choose also feels like royalty-free to be like, isn't this a lovely day we're having? And it just feels like they've gone all in on the animation and just like left other stuff and gone, yeah. wow, it's cheaper. But this is a the manga, the original manga of of uh, the of the. My masterful cat is depressed again. Is a four coma, mm-hmm. unlike the other one, which and somehow it is better. Um, but you are right; it it makes more sense, I guess. I just feel that. I it, mean, it, if there was, if there, if it was consistently applied, but everything everyone has said about it and my experience of the first episode of uh, Glasses Girl suggests that it is not consistently applied, and so no. uh, any justification would be posts. Hawk, rather than actually justified by 
um uh, what they're doing yeah the first episode like the first episode's all fish islands and it felt the same for the cat as well but the second episode of glasses is like yeah they throw it out the window pretty much straight away did you find like, it funny the, um or I thought it... I thought the Masterful Cat was quite funny. I thought okay, I, I laughed a couple of times. It made me chuckle. It made me chuckle enough to watch another episode, but I then <laughs> haven't gotten on to watching another episode. Um, not in any rush to watch a third. Not yeah. really. Not when I've got other stuff like Masamune Kun's Revenge, which I feel is more <laughs> deserving <laughs> of my time. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's just weird i i don't know i i think it's more interesting talking about the wild animation styles that they've chosen as opposed to the actual story because the Mm. stories are incredibly like i think this is the other thing like the stories are incredibly mediocre they're not Mm. trying to be interesting they're trying to be anything new they're they're fucking cookie cutter for any type of like comedy of this nature romantic comedy or workplace comedy Mm. and there's like hundreds that are better that we can all think of you know? Well, let's let's at least talk now for, from complete production uh, car crashes. Let's talk about a couple of things which at least looked great, even <laughs> if maybe they were a bit vacuous. Um, which stage of let, grief is uh, this? <laughs> so first, first, I'm going to, very quickly. I'm going to ask you about, about something and find out whether or not uh, this was just me bouncing off something which you had deep and. Uh, uh, vital hopes for, which is Attilia Riser. Ah, uh, now, this looked very, very shiny from its its PV. More like Atelier Thizer. Yeah, and then <laughs> episode one was the longest nothing I have ever was, had the misfortune it, to. It to... was the longest forty five minutes I'd watched. Yeah, but God, I think what I, it I was, was, I was very mercifully waved off of it by Anime News Network. I'm sorry for talking shit about you, Anime News Network. Yeah. <laughs> Be so I, glad. I, I think what it was though is is it's um like there was no music. There's a lot of there's a lot of quiet, and I think that when there's quiet in a series, especially when it's forty five minutes, I feel that that really makes it drags it on longer. Um, I mean, you just need something to happen as well because. Nothing, nothing happens in that first episode. Like, did yeah. you keep watching Andy, or did you? I mean, I've watched. I've I've played the game. Okay. I've played all three games, and I really love it. <laughs> he's he's, he's riser pilled. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Riser yeah. pilled. Uh, I think another series of the rise. Another riser series has been animated, but this is the latest of the Atelier series, Atelier Riser, um, which focuses on a girl called Atelier who. Uh, grew up in the village of uh, Rassenbolden, and her and her friends, Jesus, I've forgotten, uh, Lent, Claudia, and Tao, uh, as well as as well as well two new, two like of their senseis, Lilia and Empel, go off on an adventure to try and find stuff. And the game is very much what I hate would to say a cozy game, but mm-hmm. it feels like, the whole series are cozy games, but before cozy games was a like a, a nomenclature. Okay. Uh, I it the the game mostly revolves around you in your atelier where you are like making potions, just chucking shit in that you found. You make an item, and then you you expand, and it, it's a lovely RPG mm-hmm. uh, which is very chill. And you will hear atelier riser uh, riser go, "Doshi no kana." 
like 20,000 times as uh, um, um, Mids absolutely despises the game because she just says, Doshi no kana, eh, so kanji, like all the fucking time because that's all you do is you just like slam the buttons. But it's very good at making you enjoy crafting shit. Mm. Um, Whereas and- in this case, we were asked to watch someone crafting <laughs> shit, yeah, which and- it turns out not to be as much fun. No, I and it doesn't surprise <laughs> me. I'm still going to watch the anime because... I really like the characters. Like it, the closest thing it can put me to is something like a Persona Five, where I love the characters that there are there that are there. Like Claudia's great, Tao's great, Lent's great. Like the whole cast is great. Even Boss is great. And then when Romy comes in, who's like just a merchant, but when but she's in the couple of the background shots of the first season. And I absolutely loved that. I was living for that little background <laughs> shot of Romy just like, like being a cheeky little like. It's NPC uh, number twenty-seven. Ooh, yeah. the crowd goes wild. <laughs> and the funny thing is, she's drawn like that kind of. It, it, it's a Gust game, and Gust are very like the closest thing to Gust. Do you ever watch uh, Gamers? Yeah, and the, you know the studio that they worked for. Like that to me, whenever. Whenever I'm not thinking of gamers, I'm thinking of the other one. New game, no new game, game, no life. Uh, okay. New game, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that studio that they worked for. In my head, it's either Gust or it's Falcom. Like the way that they just they have a small staff and they have like one idea that people really like, and they have like one designer that like they put a lot of effort onto and put a lot of clout behind. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, that is that is the sort of studio feeling I get, and they've just hit and lucky with Atelier Riser being uh, a new like a new lead artist, and then like a new series entirely. And yeah, it it's I'm not surprised you didn't like it. I'm not surprised you found it boring because <laughs> honestly, that that is kind of the mo of the series is that it is chill and it it can be a bit boring, but then it surprises you at the end with some actually quite interesting and heartfelt storytelling i'm not going to say it's worth watching the whole season but i can tell you that i it it kind of pulled the rug under my feet a little bit uh and i was like oh actually are you you, sorry are you saying the anime pulled the rug under your feet or the game did the game yes this is an important distinction (laughs) the game story pulled the rug under my feet a little bit where it actually pulled out some stuff where i was like huh okay there is actually some interesting stuff going on um mostly around the village of Rasenboden uh and where it is mm-hmm. and their insistence on loving Kirkenfruit, which even now in the third game is somehow still relevant. There's a whole plot line on Kirkenfruit. Like they just don't fucking give it up. Um, I mean, I'm guessing Kirkenfruit is like a, a, a paid currency in the game or something because that, that, that would no, explain it, why they, they would keep it, the one, it prominent the, in the narrative. It, it's the one fruit that they grow in Rasenboden mm-hmm. and everybody hates it, but everybody depends on it. And it's really fucking weird. I mean, in the third season, they're just like, well, you see, Riser, ever since you've changed the water supply, the, the Kirkenfruit just haven't been good enough. And I'm like, why the fuck are you still talking about fucking Kirk and Fruit? But yeah, like... Kirk and Fruit must flow. It's very pretty. I enjoyed it. As a fan of the series, I was very happy to watch it. But it does not surprise me that as someone who has no attachment to the games, you do not enjoy it in the slightest. 
Speaking of of things where someone who has no attachment to the franchise probably has no uh, buying at all, but which I loved, uh, I I watched Fate Strange Faked, a uh, fifty minute OVA, yeah. um, and it is the thing I have enjoyed most this season by a country mile. Um, for those of you not really f- familiar with the Fate series, the whole thing is basically an excuse for a giant battle royale with magic and sword play. It has a very set structure to each no, one. No, no. The whole point, the whole point of, of and yes, gotcha. the whole point, the whole point of fates is what happens if these famous people were my waifus? So you mm-hmm. have Leonardo yeah. da Vinci, you have Bodicea, you have Jean d'Arc, you have all of these dumb, like real life characters who then get remade as waifus and then get again put into swimsuits and yeah, shit. and like yeah, there's a very set structure because you to get these historical figures together you need a reason to it and the reason is uh they're all fighting to get their wishes granted by the holy grail and you, ha- you each each holy grail war has seven ma- seven masters who are each have a servant which is your hero come, who comes across time summoned by the uh, some great unfulfilled desire which only the wish granting power of the grail can fulfill and when it's good the drama is what do these people want from their wishes? Is it something personal? Is it some grand desire to right the wrongs of society? And what happens when the two people on a team's desires clash? When someone's principles and someone else's desires just become a, two things which smash together? And like that's just good interpersonal conflict. But at its worst, it, it does become what Andy described, which is just a, a waifu collecting uh, contest. And each individual entry in the series basically lives or dies on whether it prioritizes the waifu collecting or it prioritizes actually having a good collection of characters. And thankfully, uh, this particular uh, one, Fate Strange Fake, um, is very much the one where we've actually got something which Mm. is quite enjoyable and crunchy. And probably some of that has to do with the fact that unlike everything else, which is um, uh, by uh, just credited to Type Moon, this has a, um, is basically a co-work by uh, Narita Ryogo, who is the author of Bacano and uh, yeah, and you can tell it like there was his it it started out as an April Fool's, Fool's joke and basically people enjoyed the way it was subverting and playing with the tropes of the series so much it it basically got made into this OVA and that that has really helped it stand out from from the rest so you were going to say something before i go in go in full full in no i was just going to say what you're going to say like it's a co-production like it was originally written by the guy did back which is why it's reasonably interesting but not interesting enough for me to watch (laughs) because i love the animation it it's like something it's not got the sheer budget behind it that's something like jjk does like very few shows can um like the whole series has had some good production on it it's by this particular one is uh being done by a1 pictures who are uh, here and there some they've done some good stuff they've done some less good stuff but and not famously, usually the people who do fate 
fates are usually done by Ufa. Yeah, and Ufa Tovel yeah. uh, are known for doing a lot of the mainline fates um, shows and uh, kind of made their name doing it. Um, this is it doesn't have like that um, smoothness to it. It's it has a really sketchy st style, but it also has a really good gr grasp of how to actually maximize every penny of its budget. Like it it uses that sketchy style to be expressive rather than just smooth. Like you've got direction that doesn't. Like I think, like one of the things we we criticize uh, both the Gohan's joints for is they decide, okay, I've got this one shot I love, and I'm just going to keep reusing that. This mm. is this has got a really nice. It really just uses whatever shot is perfect for that moment. It's a nice, really broad directorial um, vocabulary, which isn't always the 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 case for anime. Like quite often, you'll have something which is uh, quite st stolid, whereas this has been. Uh, it's quite refreshing that it just seems to go okay. What 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 will work here? What will really sell the shot and just does it? And I I've been really impressed by the direction of it. And I'll be interested to see if they use the same staff uh, when they make a series of this. Um, and yeah, you've got really really nice readable action sequences as well, which is a big plus for me. Like. Um, the finale of this OVA basically is centered around uh, the character Gilgamesh. And Gilgamesh is a recurring uh, character in, in the uh, Fate series. And in every Fate series. He's not in every, but he's in most. And I think you can generally tell whether any particular entry is good or not, is whether or not Gilgamesh is written well in it. Because you've got a character who is just vanity, incarnate because the way fate's particular mythology works gilgamesh is the first hero slash king in history and so basically he looks down upon everyone else who followed him like yeah you're all pale imitations of me i was first i was the best um but the problem is he is also kind of lives up to that he does beat it he is more powerful than everyone he is also the one of the few people who actually has any idea what's going on in any of these multiple uh, wars because he's as you say he's a recurring character so he's kind of he's aware of the meta narrative he's he's aware of everything that's going on this central thing which you're told okay the big conflict is about people want to claim the grail and they want to have their wishes granted he doesn't care about that. He's literally got multiple grails stashed away somewhere. And, he, and the only reason he's there is because he basically considers everything, uh, every treasure that has ever existed to be his by right, because he was first and he was best. So everything which follows since is just his to decide. And it's like, okay, you want the grail? Well, actually, that's my grail you're trying to take there. So I'm here to uh, to who stop you taking stealing from me. It's not that I want anything. It's just, this is mine. You can't have it. And it's such mm. a petty reason. And yet <laughs> they sell, sell that arrogance when he's written well, that you can have this person who is utterly infuriating, like to deal with because they always insist on having the last word, but they mm. write it well enough that you can't shake the feeling that he's probably right. And that's, that makes him quite a com compelling character and fate strange fake uh is breaks like the traditional uh structure of um the fate shows 
games where his he's always the most powerful one and it's kind of like okay how do we in the best ones it's okay how do people get around that how do you outthink him and out beat him in with your smarts and just as jojo's does and here like the finale of of this particular one is they reunite him with a character from his myth with enkidu who is basically his um his friend the original frenemy i would say <laughs> i'm not sure how to describe describe en- enkidu um the original but, bad romance yeah <laughs> and like it's two equally powerful individuals just going at each other with near identical powers, but from vastly different motivations. Like uh, Gilgamesh is seen as like this incarnation of like society, as as like he the thing he values more than anything else is his well, his the fact that he is the king of this civilization, and because he is king, he has he has all these rights to do things and to impose his will upon its manifest de- destiny writ large. It, he has claimed the whole world as his manifest destiny, whereas Enkidu is is like this incarnation of nature, and the whole uh, myth is is kind of like Enkidu is sent as like a rebuke from the gods to Gilgamesh for his overreaching, and it's an absolutely beautiful action sequence. I absolutely loved it. it it's like one of the best I've of best sort of like magic sequences i've seen for a long long time it's just absolutely wonderfully choreographed and also they're having a great time gilgamesh and enkidu are just absolutely just as uh, jojo and dio uh, are clearly in their fight are both having a gr- great time as as they they go at each other these, these are two who have been fight fucking for three thousand years before jojo was even a gleam in araki's eye and it just it just made me smile it was just like all all the dumb things about out the premise don't really matter when you've got a really good pace to it and just enough subversions to keep you on your toes. And the the one the one bad thing about this was unfortunately I liked it so much it made me watch a different fate, Fate Grand Order Babylon Absolute Demonic Front, which was terrible. It's exactly as you described the worst tropes of the genre, just a gacha loop of collecting a harem of, of goddesses. And battling their way through increasingly powerful bo- bosses while just playing by every rule, and like it just and just the Tomokazu's Tomokazu Seki's performances as Gilgamesh just can't elevate it if he just has to be a plain old bad guy. Who yeah, is uh, just the boss to beat. One, uh, one thing I'm going to quickly correct you on, Duncan, is uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure was in 1987, whilst Type Moon's uh, first Fate Stay Night was in 2004. Oh dear. So, actually, um, yeah, uh, but the Epic of Gilgamesh was in approximately 1000 to 1300 <laughs> BC, Andy. And that's what I was talking about, not Fate Stay Night. Mm, I was yeah, talking about Jojo's Gilgamesh is... and Enkidu. So, <laughs> yeah, but... you, you know, literally the first story ever written. <laughs> Vote, vote, I'm voting for I'm voting for Fate Stay Jojo's as our next as our next podcast episode. <laughs> Just saying that, <laughs> like, that the, when when was that written after JoJo? Hey, there's a reason why. There's a reason. So why. actually, yeah. we've been saying it. Oh, it shouldn't be AD. It should be AJJ. AJJ. Yeah. Oh, AJ. So Just so so sorry. BJJ. Is is the I, whole idea of fate is like, what if we took the JoJo's formula and then made it sexy historical waifus? Is 
is yeah, kind of I what's being put forward Face here. Stay Night famously was like a dojin game. It was a dating simulator where yeah, where uh, you you date famous people from history, but you about their cute dream. girls and you get to fuck them. Like that is literally the first. That's uh, that is no. Face Stay Night. Yes. No, no, no. Face Stay Night. Yeah. The, the plot of Face Stay Night is that not that it has become that 100 andy but no no no, no, no. that was, was not that, that was they they re they re it used to be a dojin game it's a dojin game man the, the, it, it's a it's an explicit dojin game originally uh had to clean itself it up like a lot it, of yeah, other it dojin games up, gone which straight is fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with that you just got to accept it and move on that, Jeez. <laughs> anyway moving on to another april fool's day joke um that also is a spin-off of another existing series no yohane <laughs> <laughs> Has it gotten good yet? Sorry, no. Andy, not to preempt you. <laughs> no, it hasn't. Uh, yeah. Yohane, oh. uh, the Parahelion, Sunshine in the Mirror. Uh, is, it's not an isekai. There's no other world. Um, it's just a full-on, uh, like, weird... Pile of bullshit. With magic. And um, it's a spin-off of the Love Live Sunshine um, arc of Love Live just the second season i guess um but not really oh, i don't care but anyway <laughs> this this follows johanne who is the best character in sunshine who is i guess uh a bit of a tunibio like he, she she thinks that she has like the darkness surrounding her and she sees oh. with like her her evil eye and all this kind of stuff and it's kind of cute and funny in the in love life and then in this one it, she is the same character, but it's now in a weird fantasy world where all the other characters from the series of Love Live Sunshine are there, but they all have different jobs. And for some reason, Ruby is a fairy. And they they spent... Uh, there, there's Chica. There's, like, all, the whole cast are there, but Chica is a weird... Like, owns a Ryokan... In the day, but by night she's fighting evil, which so far has been three deer. So, Andy, is this just like basically her, her, what if her Chunibro delusions were real? Like, this is her fanfic of, of her. This is literally, her... in, a, in a regular, like, TV show from the 90s, this would just be one episode where, hey, the delusional character, what if all her delusions were real? Oh, it was just a dream, but... <laughs> Yeah, there's no there's no delusion here. It's just how the world is. Yeah. And I really want it. it it has the the impetus to be something great. Um but it just so far it's really not that interesting apart from seeing the characters I liked in Love Live be reimagined as their weird like RPG jobs. Question, do they sing or is this not an idol anime? It's not an idol anime, but okay. Johanne does sing and is Okay. The, the series starts off with her being in this fictional Tokyo where she wants to be an idol, but she fails. So her family forces her to come back home because she's failed to be an idol and they said at your eighteenth birthday or sixteenth, I can't remember, like mm -hmm. You've, if you've not gotten anywhere, you're coming back home to to stay in this town, which she hates because she thinks it's boring. And then she has to meet all of her old friends who she also, for some reason, doesn't really like uh, and live a 
boring life, but actually is full of stuff to do and a weird magic curse. And this also weird evil entity, which, yeah, like they spend 15 minutes fighting four deer and it's quite boring, but also quite dumb because there's like three transformation scenes and deer on a motorcycle jumps up into the air about 20 feet and then somehow transforms. And like the comedy is there in moments and the interesting stuff is there in moments, but it's again, like Zom 100, I, I feel it's a bit slow and it, I don't really know what it's doing. And, but unlike Zom 100, this is no, there's no source to this. This is just all purely made up as a, from mm-hmm. a joke that happened on April fools. And it probably should have stayed as a joke. But yeah. it's nice to have Johanne back because she's pretty cool. Oh, and there's also she's also got a weird fucking talking wolf for no reason. There's just a fucking talking I mean, wolf for there. I think she's a talking wolf because she's a, a tunibro and wants a talking wolf. You make it sound like it's it's going to like jump back into her love no, life. No, no, no. I just think like, like that's not going to happen. There is no love life. There is no like her there dying. There is no love pool. life. <laughs> <laughs> there isn't. There isn't a love life. There is no. There is no her dying and falling into a new world there's no her waking up it's just a straight up like fantasy world and i do quite like it for that i like the fact that it's not trying to be an isekai mm. but i've also still got like tw- nine episodes left so i mean i hold hold this space it'll probably turn into an isekai by the end and i'll be eating my hat um but yeah it's fine it's it had the potential to be great and it hasn't realized that. And let's move on to something else. Hurry me a piece. No one's watching that, are they? No. I do, I do think it's funny that they we keep having these shows that are set in like a world defined by the Chunibyo's delusions. And we're kind of coming to the same conclusion that Chunibyo aren't funny when the <laughs> yeah. world reflects their actual delusions. They're just like weird, grandiloquent assholes. But she's, she's not an ass. Oh, necessarily. Like, she's trying to be... That pause really carries a lot of... The first episode, (laughs) she is. She's very, like, belligerent and doesn't really want to be here. But by the second episode, she tries to be, like, a fortune teller. And it is that expected dumb thing where she's obviously not a fortune teller. She can't tell anyone's fortunes. And some kids are like, come in and be like, can you find my lost ball? And she's like, no, I can't find your lost ball. That's not what I'm here for. And then, like, I thought you were a fortune teller. And then she's like, okay, fine. I'll help you find your lost ball. And then goes out and then gets help by people of the town. And so there's some like sweet, enjoyable stuff in that. But it it is wrapped up. I think the weirdness, to be honest, is that there's this new original character, Lilaps, who's this dog who she suddenly starts talking to. And I don't know. It, it, it's weird. It's fine. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where <laughs> it's going. I'm definitely committed to watching it. Going on to Horimiya. Yes. Now, after being burned badly by Ranking of Kings last season, and I'm very cautious about going into what just seems like a, a series of shorts because this isn't mm. a co- this isn't a season of um, like a coherent narrative. It's just like bits of it's the missing yeah. pieces, isn't it? It's just like I think the difference between Horimiya and Ranking of Kings is Horimiya. The first season is a completed season. And so the fact that they've just got more moments of the Harimiya gang doing cute, funny things and having an interesting story, I, I quite like. Um, I'm enjoying this. I, I, okay. I am enjoying being back in 
the cast of uh Hori and uh Miyamura especially like that they're, they're a cute couple and uh like the, the whole cast and remembering slowly and being like, oh yeah, actually, no, I really enjoyed these these characters. Uh, the only thing I will say if you're watching it is uh, when Miyamura's got long hair, they're not going out. And I forgot this. And then, and I'm like, they're being oddly cold to each other. I thought they were dating by now. They've, they must have fucked by now. And then Mids was like, no, he's got long hair. They haven't, they haven't fucked. They're still, they're still not together. Um, but yeah, I, I like it. Are you not enjoying it? I just haven't gone for it because, like, it's quite a busy season. And as I say, yep. Ranking Kings burnt me. It's like, do I really want something with no narrative hook carrying it forward? Just, like, moments of high school comedy? Like, So every episode has a theme. Like, the first episode is them doing a uh, school trip to Kyoto, which never got adapted, which does have some interesting sort of moments about, like, Miyamura's sort of, uh, Miyamura's and Hori's relationship mm -hmm. and then the second episode's about is is kind of gaggy about uh, Ishikawa and Miyamura both like not wanting to get naked mostly because Miyamura's got a massive tattoo on his side I enjoy it I think it's better than Ranking of Kings purely because it's an ended series already and, and this is just more of that but I can understand if if you don't want to like watch something because you feel it's more of an addition as opposed to something new yeah it's just like narrative is a good thing like I, I want something coherently holding something together and bringing me forward rather than like an in unconnected series of, of stories set around this central narrative yeah. which stories which were literally deemed as surplus to requirements when someone thought, what is the essence of this story? Yeah. What can we cut? These are what we could cut. And, and that does not make me confident to watch them. <laughs> but some people were upset that those bits were cut. Like people mm. complained that these moments have been cut and I thought that they thought they were very sweet. Some people want every single, they want the, the using manga as storyboard thing that mm. makes some stuff drag so terribly. They want every single piece of content adapted. They just want motion comments, but it's not the early two thousands yeah. anymore. And <laughs> yeah. like we have higher standards, but there's obviously an audience there, but man, if they just adapt everything, I am very suspicious about an anime at this point. I, I can't blame Duncan, even though it sounds like Hormia, Horimia deserves a little bit of trust. Slack, that maybe yeah. ranking of Kings didn't. Yeah, I, I I would say that Hurimiya piece is great. Like, if you want something, if you liked Hurimiya a lot, and and I did, and if you like, if you like Hurimiya, you'll like piece. It's it's more of, and it does. Whilst it doesn't have an ongoing theme throughout the series, does have themes in like episodes have their own theming, um, or have their own sort of like ongoing jokes that clearly have happened throughout the show that they didn't want to put into the original series. And I like it. I think it's good. It'll be interesting if somebody spliced the first series and this series together to make like... Uh, Rimea, the, the extended cut. Yeah. The original Rimea, edition. Rimea, yeah. The Rimea Snyder cut. cut. Yeah, the Snyder cut. Um, I, I like it. Um, also, one that I'm really enjoying as well is My Happy Marriage. Uh, that is a lovely looking show. Like, it is. It, is it's an yeah, I do I think, think it's it is. an average looking show. No, I, don't think I think it's, it's more than average, Andy. I think you're being harsh. Like, it's not spectacular, but it is no. 
but it is like considering how you've been like oh someone hundred slow thing and then you're like oh my happy marriage like fucking action blockbuster like, oh no this- it's not it's also <laughs> fucking slow as well but maybe i give it a bit more slack because it is kind of a shoujo like slow blossoming romance between mm. two characters whilst zom 100's a zombie action thing and i'm like i i know the plot i get the premise straight a fucking way like yes <laughs> we're in zombie land like let's go fucking kill some zombies and let's find these weird characters mm-hmm. who i'm looking forward to seeing Whilst uh, my happy marriage, I guess I'm I'm more uh, inclined to be like, yeah, it, it's it's trying to be something slow and beautiful, and mm-hmm. and you're getting it's more of an internal retrospect view of these two characters' lives and their like their own thoughts and feelings. Yeah, there's a lot of internal stuff. Yeah, and and I don't feel that Zom has got that. I don't think Zom's trying to be that at all. I think Zom's just trying to be fun, and I like it's two different types. Like, do you know? Do you see what do you know? What I'm trying to get at? Uh, to an extent. <laughs> yeah, it's it's about a character called uh, Mio Saimori who is uh, eternally hated in her own home, who has a sort of unrelate, unrealized crush on um, a guy called Koji. Who yep, is, childhood like, friend crush. Childhood Tick. friend crush. <laughs> And then Koji marries her sister, Kaya Saimori, who's got a different mother. and Evil stepmother she... tropes, etc. Yeah. And then she gets sent to... Uh, she gets basically sold off to this other person who uh, is meant to be horrible. Nobody yeah. likes her. And um, she... He is like... like The, the fiancé's... The, the women ran away in like a week because he's such a piece of shit. Um, Mio being a person who has had all the will and love and happiness beaten out of her over like 13 years of tragedy as her mum dies and everything that she loves and is associated with her mother um, gets removed and categorically destroyed in front of her face in a really heartbreaking way. To the fact that point that the only thing she has left is a comb of hers that mm. is that has been stamped on um, by her mother-in-law. Yeah, I, I think uh, uh, Happy Marriage has like we're, we're going to go a lot into how uh, the structures of relationships and power can cause cruelty <laughs> in Oku um, and My Happy Marriage. Say, yeah. uh, setting of like you have these families who have uh bloodlines where supernatural abilities are passed on her mum and her father are married because uh she her mother has some great ability and it turns out she doesn't have it and so she's resented as being this failure as not like all these things her father supposedly gave up to marry her mother uh he's were just for nothing. It, she, he gave up all these things, and he, he he just got a dud. And so instead, he's he he marries the woman he wanted to marry all along. And I mean, that's that's the little kicker. Like this, his her stepmother was uh, her father's first love, who he couldn't marry because she he had to marry her her mother. And so that's why he resents her because she is the result of the exact kind of marriage he's now going to force onto her. This These traumas passed down a, a generation. I didn't pick up on that. I, I, just thought, I just thought that she... I, yeah, that's interesting. 
yeah guy, and he? i i just think like yeah he treats her he treats her horribly and he he basically thinks yeah i'm just sending her off to she's just gonna she's she has basically failed to give me the one thing i wanted out of that marriage and now i'm just gonna i resent her for that and for what i had to give up and now just you now see how you like it i'm just gonna send you off to this guy who uh, who has got this horrible reputation uh, and i'll get something out of 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 it now and you'll get nothing and like the the story is showing that well he's maybe not what everyone thought he was and it's imp- and implied that maybe she does have something of what they thought she didn't and we're, we're get, gonna get to the supernatural stuff eventually the supernatural stuff really came left field. So the yeah. first episode doesn't mention any supernatural stuff at all. It's just like heartbroken, like this person has lost all love and and has lost all hope and, and is is doomed to live a horrible life because she's being tormented by her parents. Like anyone she holds dear is tormented and she's got nothing. She's now just like a work hand. Mm-hmm. And then she gets shipped off to this, to, uh, this new house and lives with uh, this stone cold, uh, attract beautiful, but like, uh, but, but cold, emotionally dead, like a guy called Kudo. And that's kind of where the first episode ends. He is like, I, I rule the house here. You do what I tell you to do. If I tell you to die, you die. And she's just like, yes, of course, husband, like my dear, like, yeah, I'll do that. And he gets slightly taken aback because I don't think he was expecting uh, someone to be so, to be so like self-evasing yeah. and have so little opinion of themselves, which then builds on their relationship going forwards. But the second episode then introduces this supernatural mm-hmm. shit, which I'm just like, where the fuck's this come from? And why is it even yeah. there? It feels like it's not needed at all. I, I agree. It does not feel it's needed. <laughs> Turns out that, Kudo is like the head of the supernatural division in Kyoto, which is then hated because because there is little supernatural stuff that happens at all. The fact that it's revealed, oh yeah, the the politics behind all this is actually because of supernatural bloodlines is like <laughs> the, 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 there's enough there's enough going on with people and like just wanting to preserve a bloodline that you don't need to add supernatural to it like oku is uh, shows us very much that people care about lineage without having it to being oh well that that guy, you get married to her you're gonna get uh, kids who can see the the dead and you marry to him uh, your kids can breathe fire and like you don't need that you just need people to care about the prestige of their 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 families and uh kudo is like the reason he treats all these supposed brides horribly is revealed to be that he people are trying to to marry him because he has this very senior position and he's very powerful and they all want that within their family they want his his wealth and well his 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 prestige and he treats her horrible with the assumption that yeah she's just here to marry me for my wealth and if i make make her life horrible first she'll just go away as soon as it becomes clear to him that that's not the case he 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 mellows and starts uh just treating her like a, a normal human being and thank god for that um because mm. um it's like it's one of those things where someone is so mistreated that even the smallest kindness makes them like tear up in joy and mm. that almost sometimes that feels too much 
Like it's a like I'm glad they've got past that stage and that they're, they're a bit. She's a bit more starting to become a bit more well adjusted. Sometimes the way they characterize people in this sort of show is like it's like someone who flinches every time a, a hand's raised, and like that's how she felt in the first couple of episodes. Like just someone just flinching from everything, assuming that violence and cruelty was coming her way, and like. I don't want them to completely wipe that from her, but I do want her to be in a place where the default feeling they're trying to convey about her is not just pity. Right? We shouldn't. It shouldn't be just oh, mm. what a terrible, terrible past this girl has. It's we should. She should have more to her than that. She we should, she should have more she wants than just not to be being beat up and acted horrible too i i i I await the moment we find out something more of her actual desires Mm. in her her life what who she is and we haven't hit that yet um but it's i i i do think the animation is is quite beautiful andy they have a really lovely sense of light and um the the character designs it's not it's not incredibly good but it is they do have a good sense of like that 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 combination I've spoke of 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 for of, of like readability but subtlety like like that that which anime often fails at where it's just like hair hair swaps and this just doesn't have that that they have like characters to their features and uh, they have more to them a silhouette and I, I enjoy watching it and it's I would say that like as far as character designs going that like it's good because for a show that it's set in like a traditional Edo period mm-hmm. Japan, uh, you can very much get very similar looking characters, and it does do a good job of making these characters that unique. Yeah. I, I just feel that there's been occasions where uh, Kudo, in particular, just has like really flat features. Like there's there's it it, it feels like it's like kind of his hair's back and his his uh, fringe is to one side just to yeah. make it I, I can easier see to yeah. draw. And, and same with like Mio as well. Mio's can be like very plainly drawn, but you are right in that there's some very beautiful moments. Uh, I didn't think that her dad never wanted to marry um, uh, Saimori Sumi, which is like her mum. I got the impression that Sumi died. Have you watched the third episode? I have watched the third episode okay. and I didn't get that impression at all. I got the impression that like, like they, they were happy together and then Sumi died and then she, he remarried to Kanoko who, who then controlled his emotions and changed him. Uh, the, it's just because in the third episode, um, one of uh, Kudo's sort of junior officers comes and gives him a report on uh, uh, Mio's family. Oh, yeah. That's the moment where it's talked about. Like, it's it's like easy to skip because it's just, okay, here's the exposition about this person. And it just mentions, oh, and this was his lover who he was forced not to marry. And then you can imply some of the stuff I said is implied rather than explicit. But it does it does say like, yeah. It's cool that you picked it up. Like that's something I didn't pick up. No. I just I felt that was more on like Kudo trying to understand why Mio is so servitudal. Like she yeah. just she is very happy that she is in a new world yeah. with a person who isn't treating her like a piece of shit. Yeah, as as you say, like he had this expectation because she comes from this prestigious family that she would be a haughty Ojo Sama, and when she's so quiet and so mousy and just doesn't seem to have any sense of her own desires like he 
he's confused because that's the exact opposite of the the women he's been introduced yeah. to so far and yeah like i don't know it's it's and also another great granny yeah, who just insists that granny. this is the right thing to do i mean yeah my happy marriage is was a very good period drama and to go to an, an uh, our, our penultimate period piece, uh, which is Undead Murder Fast, which instead of going uh, is kind of set the same era as um, My Happy Marriage. It's like uh, the the modernization period of Japan where mythology and technology and Western culture start to mix. It's a story which is in that fairly well-trodden uh, niche combined with an, another well-trodden trope, which is the detective story mashup. This is a show where we're going to meet Sherlock Holmes, where we're going to meet Lupin, where we're going to meet Moriarty, and where it's wholly doing everything that League of Extraordinary Gentlemen did 20 years ago. And there's nothing really original there. And the main reason it works is because it gives a decent set of perspective characters. Our protagonist is basically a half man, half demon, and he's helping out a immortal disembodied head, who is is the main detective of the duo. And the metaplot is her tracking down the man who separated her head from her body, and in return, she's helping him stay human. And it it generally has really well observed uh, VA performances and a lot of good back and forth banter. That's allowed to happen because he's a, a Rakugo teller. And so he has this mm-hmm. way of retelling some of the events of the mysteries which are happening um, in a way which makes them entertaining as well as possibly giving breadcrumbs of clues as to what's going on, which I think is is an important in any murder mystery show that it doesn't hide things from the viewer. It just gives us a uh, somewhat obscured and... A strange take on it to to feed us the information, and it's it's very enjoyable and quite has quite striking character design. But I think for some people it is maybe too hamming up those tropes too much. Like as I say, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is where my mind goes. If you if you don't want someone mashing together the, all these tropes of that particular age of literature then you're probably not going to enjoy it. But if you're happy for that sort of literature mashup mm. and you want some supernatural thrown in uh, with uh, a very handsome animated style and some good action when the mood takes it, Undead Murder Farce is uh, enjoyable. But it, it's nothing special. It's easily skippable, but if you do find yourself with it, um, you will have a good time. Um, the final thing I'm going to uh, very quickly say is... Elk, which oh yeah i was gonna watch this watch it andy you will enjoy it it is very very enjoyable it's fantasy one punch man basically it's season one one punch man it has very good jokes it's just a, a really good comedy and one punch man is all about the yeah comedy. but one punch man also had a really really good sakugo when it wanted and hell Hel- has not shown that to any degree it, but it is maybe funnier than One Punch Man. I would say, like, it, 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 I think John would really enjoy this, and I'm going to keep pestering him to watch it because I, I think it's got the kind of humor he really digs. And if you, if you watch a couple of episodes, it's the, 
you will enjoy it because it is just lots of puns really well done and it it pretty much nails every pun like it's playing playing with tropes and taking the mickey out of them and if you you like seeing fantasy you took apart then yeah you'll you'll get a kick out of it and it I guess this is my problem is that I don't care for fantasy that much. In that case, you probably won't. <laughs> so you, you can freely skip it. I I also watched something, another one this season, just the first episode of Dark Gathering, oh. which is a story about um, people who are like yokai hunting mm-hmm. and it was fine. Mm-hmm. I don't really have much to say on it. I don't think I'll watch anymore. It was reasonably creepy. Like the the story is, is that there's a girl called uh, Yayoi uh, Hozuki and Keitaro Gentoga uh, has to um, be his tutor, and all, and she is apparently like able to see cursed objects and has skulls for eyes, uh, which makes no sense. They go to a telephone box and it turns out it's possessed, and they they unpossess it fine i didn't hate it i didn't love it it was just fine animation was competent story went at a reasonably interesting pace and i was like yeah this is overall fine let's go ahead and take a break and we'll come back to talk about oku and then a few other shows we've been watching that aren't currently airing And we're back. For the second half, we thought we'd just block out a whole bunch of time to talk about Ooku, the inner chambers. The animal's kicking in. Ooku. <laughs> hey, look. <laughs> okay, there are there are several ways to write Ooku. There is O O K U. There is O O O K U. And then there is O with a long mark K U. And they're all Ooku. Ooku. <laughs> um. Yes. Exactly. But this is a Netflix production based on a manga by Fumi Yoshinaga uh, that ran from June 2004 to December 2020 uh, about uh, some changes happening in the shogunate uh, during the medieval period. There'd be some changes. (laughs) All the men did done die. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I don't always do this. But I do think that at least the first episode of Oku is is worth your time before you listen to us talk about it. But if you're determined to know what's going on without having discovered it yourself, this is a story of during the reign of Tokugawa Yemitsu, the third shogun to uh, to rule over Japan. A boy pissed off the gods and they wrecked the entire country by by spreading this red face pox that kills basically every man who contacts it and every man who contacts it tends to be, you know, 40 or under. And it's about, well, essentially it is a story about the way that preferences translate into traditions and how traditions translate institutions and how people are the grist in the mill of that entire process. Mm. But it's also a really dense intellectual work. That's a lot about how societies structure themselves and are functioned I don't know. I had heard great things about this as the like premier Jose historical work. And I was glad that I didn't have to read a fucking manga to do it. But yeah, I really like this. And I'm excited to talk with you all about what you took away from it. I watched the first episode. I haven't watched much more because the first you say first episode is more the first movie. The movie. Yeah. (laughs) 
I discovered that at two in the morning before I had to work the next day. I was like, oh no. Oh, this this is this is long. We should also mention that uh Italia Visa was also a 40-minute double episode. Yeah. It's a it's a big thing now. Yeah, it's a weird right. We got Oshido Ko from last season, we got these two from this season. It's like I'm not against it because I really liked the first episode. It was very much an encapsulation of at least one person's life joining the Oku, which is this inner chamber of 8,000 men who are the most beautiful men in all of Japan. They claim to be 3,000, but there's only 800 actually because it's no, like Oh, weird... you're right. It's 3,000, yes. but there's actually 800 because there's not enough men to be 3,000. Yeah. And then it sort of it, it turns into like this weird pissing match between the guys as this new man comes in and then he turns out to might be the per- first person to fuck the new shogunate. So then he has to die, but he doesn't. He then gets set free because the shogunate is trying to change the way of the world. And it feels like, yeah. from what I'm understanding, what you're saying, it feels like a perfect encapsulation of the rest of the show. Like, yes. It feels like this is kind of what it is. And then it ends with a bit of a mystery about how she finds it weird that... <laughs> they have to murder her first her first uh, sexual partner <laughs> There's that. as a matter of tradition. <laughs> Well, there is that, but I was uh, more thinking of how she finds it weird that when you become a shogunate, you have to take the male name, and that uh, made her be interested in the history of Japan to realize why it is that the male name is always taken, as well as other strange traditions that she's undergoing. And I I liked it. I What I really enjoyed was how it wasn't just... The gender swap of the powers got realigned. So like the the female is the, the dominant. gender powers. Use your gender power, Shogun. <laughs> the female is the dominant gender uh, and the, the stronger gender than the men. And the way that they describe the men is like, oh, you, you might be stronger, but you have no tenacity and you have no... Yeah, like... they have weak, men have weak constitutions. Everyone knows this. It's yeah. very interesting. But then is it Onobu? Because you got... Imetsu, who's the, the shogunate, and then you got her retainer. And the retainer has to speak a lot to the, the Orku group, which is all men. And she finds the oldest of the Orku intimidating. And she constantly is like, oh, you're really intimidating. And then at the end, she gets like one over. So, so there's like this weird power dynamic going on there. But the way that they use like fighting and martial arts is a like a fun cute thing that the guys do yeah i enjoyed yeah it's so the first episode which is an hour and 20 minutes is a frame story about this country bumpkin coming in and just kind of like showing up the like awful like super toxic traditions of the oku and being maneuvered into getting executed because this is the tradition the first person to sleep with a new shogun wounds her by breaking her hymen and therefore must be executed and which i love as a bit of like oh you're gonna find out so much more andy about about this tradition (laughs) it's a big element in the in the ensuing episodes oh really yeah because what happens is she finds it so she goes and she finds the history of the day of the dying which is the beginning of the secret history of what actually happened as opposed to this farce that they've been keeping up to the rest of the world that like japan is still run by men and i understand that we we go back to the arrival of probably the first member of the Oku as a harem of men, a reservoir of maleness in this country where it's getting exterminated by a, by a disease. 
And I, I understand we go all the way up to the present day into this reformist minded Shogun's idea of how to of how to change the Oku and how to fix all these practices. But we the rest of the show is learning how this got started, how it's the nursemaid of Tokugawa Yemitsu trying to like keep as much in place while trying to change to acknowledge the fact that like men are dying out. And that I think at the end of the show, like it's it's one man for every four women, uh, which is that's rough. what they say. Yeah, the the end of the period when they fight off the disease, it's one man for every four women. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's just a permanent thing. But like learning how they come up to the present day and like all these things that were left in in, in position, um, it, it is very much candy for an, an ex slash failed historian to to watch because you do watch how like. The reason that the first shogun institutes this, like, execute my first lover principle is, like, deeply personal, but it gets depersonalized and turned into this sort of, like, conservative, righteous institution. And it's kind of the way that, you know, human bodies get commodified, how personal preferences are ritualized into traditions, and then traditions are formalized into institutions, and how that's how you get, like, the dueling dojo being just, like, a way to, like keep your stable of horses fit and, and yeah, so on yeah i also really like um i'm not so much a fan of the constant rate yeah but what i am a fan of is i'm a fan of the the mindset also swaps so all the guys are like really bitchy when this like country bumpkin comes in and i your top knot's weak like what the fuck's that about it's not a beautiful strong top knot like mine and then he turns around is like actually that's how they like it in edo you don't know (laughs) this is fashionable yeah like get on my face motherfucker you have not been there (laughs) i love it (laughs) see i would push back this is something a point i really liked in the uh this week in anime read of of the show where they talk about how it isn't quite just like the men become women and the women become men, which is the which is the lazy, stupid version of this. Mm-hmm. But it's more like male bodies become more important than male agency. And so like the genders are still like essentialized in roughly the same way, but there's just different justifications for why it is how it is. Men are still strong. Men don't become weak and women don't become strong. And women still have to pretend to be men to hold leadership. But it is just this whole thing of like, it doesn't matter if, if men can do work, they're just too valuable. So they have to be just bodies. And if they're just bodies, they can't exert power because power is a, is a result of like mind and thinking and intellectualness. And so of course they become these weird catty bitches who like hide rats in each other's soup and like trash someone's apartment and then like oh dear you can tell this person wrote bl before before doing this because yeah holy shit the designs the constant male-on-male rape which as duncan i know you struggled a lot with with that Mm. duncan do you want to talk any more about like how you felt because i do think it walks a very thin line between this kind of like sensationalized violence and like people find ways to survive in the system and sometimes they're they're noble principled ways and sometimes it's like uh, Aritoko, who basically becomes a tool of the institution that took everything from him just because mm. he loves the person who is who that institution is supposed to serve. I don't know if if you guys are aware, but there's this kind of a subgenre of uh, literature called uh, a misery memoir, yeah. which is basically like true stories of, of my terrible ch- childhood. And sometimes Oku felt like it was veering into that it's like here's a list of the absolute horrible things which happened to me and just 
one after another, after another, after another, after another. And at times I really struggled to feel like it wasn't just doing it because, at least early on. <laughs> but I think as I've watched more of it and it has underlined the cogs which are grating together to create these things you can see like this is a machine which creates misery yeah. but it's a machine which wasn't constructed to do that it's just this is what it has become bit by bit bit by bit and that consistency kind of takes it doesn't it never takes the edge off but it because when watching anything where there's as much suffering as there is in Oku, part of you goes, is the author just a bit of a sadist? Does he just like seeing his characters suffer or is there some greater point? She. <laughs> but yes. Yeah, and, that, and that's it. Yeah. That's an extremely relevant point in this particular context. Yeah. The author in being a she rather than a, a he, that she has... Sorry, males can might be out too, man. No, like... I no, I I think what Duncan means is just that I think how it sees the experience of having no power, of feeling a, of having a society that's built to disempower you. I do think that the, this is something that maybe comes through keenly from the author's own experience. Like, mm. and it's interesting. She's she's very good. I'll, I'll respond more to your point there, but she is very good at like people's personalities are what create the cruelty and in institute like. Like, Kasuga is this person who's lived by the rules her entire life and has to believe the institutions work. And so when she's, like, doing these twe these little conservative tweaks to make things work under under a new society with a new gender ratio, her her rigidness, her tendency to cruelty, her, her glee at disempowering people who do not know their place becomes their Aritoka's acceptance of a frankly horrific situation. Like, I'm happy he found love, but oh my god. What, what what an awful life he lived, but becomes like this idea that like the Oku don't have any sort of voice that like it, the job is a completely like trickle down, top down job. All of these things kind of pop up. And I do think it is ultimately, it really frustrates me to watch shows where someone is getting bullied unfairly by a group of people who just know the rules better than them. And so they just bully the shit out of them and they have no way to retaliate. Mm. And this is why I think you kind of reacted to it, Duncan, is there is, it does think that there's a, a dignity in suffering through that. Every character who is bullied in that way is rewarded at some point by like being patient and standing their own ground and finding their own way to express themselves in a way that humiliates their bullies and shows how powerless they actually are. Because everyone here is powerless. They're all scrabbling for different pieces of control. It's a rough story to watch. I never sought out an episode of Oku, but I sat down and watched it and I'd be done and I'd be like, that was great. I am not watching the next one, except for I binged the last four. <laughs> and that was, I mean, it, I am excited to watch this institution evolve. I hope that Netflix makes more. I, I've i heard it's it's a critical darling, but you know, that doesn't mean anything on streaming yeah. services, especially anime on American streaming services. Yeah, <laughs> it won It won a lot of awards, Orku, the Inner Chambers. Yeah. Through 2008 and all the way up to 2010, like it's won many awards. So, yeah, it's, it's clearly a much revered title. And I can see why. It, yeah. Her, her keen sight for, like, how things came to be the way they are and the fact that this whole story is a frame story for someone who's like, why the fuck is this place so messed up? I'm going to read 
hundreds of years of journals from the official court historian uh, or the official Oku historian writing the real history mm-hmm. where women don't have to pretend to be men to wield power. But yeah, I, if they don't renew it, I'm going to have to read a manga again, which is, un- <laughs> which is yeah. unpleasant prospect. But, uh, but yeah, I do find it exciting. I can't believe that this is from the guy who directed Bleach and Great Teacher Onizuka, um, but it is kind of an uninspired direction. It's a very conservative art style and animation style, and you can definitely see the manga panels too, although it doesn't bother me. It's a it's a show about talking yeah. and people reacting, and that's what manga panels are good at. So It is a Studio Dean joint, so it doesn't <laughs> surprise me. They are not well known for being like particularly beautiful or, or doing amazing animation although some of the opening shots of that first movie definitely did make me go like wow this is really pretty impressive like every time she gets entered into the room of orku and there's all those men like bowing down and it's yeah. like and, and, like it opens up and she walks through like that that is always quite a visual spectacle i think yeah. i enjoyed that they get used to that vision so when like the country bumpkin comes in and dresses plainly he does stand out with his like <laughs> yeah, yeah extremely fancy kimono that has a slash stitched in silver thread but he just thought it looked simple and so did the shogun shoguness yeah. shoguness isn't it a, a, a river a shogunate showing it's the office andy <laughs> oh the shogun I shogun yeah i i liked i liked also on that no it, I was really grateful that there was a narrator. I really loved the narrator <laughs> explaining some of the intricacies that I would never have known because I am not of the historical knowledge and I do not have that historical background of like Japanese history as much as some other people do. So I actually genuinely enjoyed having a voice there going like, this is why this is impressive and this is why like she mis- misread this and it was good to have that external voice i felt i felt that that was needed unlike other shows <laughs> I, I, I felt i felt it as a hand of the manga once again but i did i did appreciate when they're like actually this was this was really cool and smart and i'm like okay good <laughs> because this is a show where often the way that you triumph over your enemies is superior taste and superior courtesy and mm-hmm. so they definitely need i don't want like jojo style to bring up jojo's for the second time like to have a fucking speed wagon there and be like oh that was really tasteful <laughs> uh, he's using his habit again <laughs> but so yeah they did have to kind of just like pull back from the immediacy of the emotions but then again because the emotions were so intense i didn't mind pulling back and it was nice to, as you said to know like how someone like it's later on when this guy from Kyoto is brought to the uh, the harem and he's being bullied by samurai for his like fancy Kyoto way of speaking. And he just owns them over and over and over again with like his incredibly precise courtesy until they finally kind of give up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like years later, and that's a great pattern to have. It sucks that it's like punctuated by like, again, dead rats in your soup and male on male rape. But And the way that they're like, the first episode congratulations on surviving the the hazing ritual of being raped like <laughs> what <laughs> sorry i didn't mean to laugh at that it's a la- it's a laugh of despair <laughs> <laughs> but also something that like to its credit i could totally believe it to be a thing yeah. in this like it doesn't feel out of the realms of possibility it happens in samurai circles there are like yimitsu was was known for 
I mean, they didn't say in the show, but he murdered his male lover at age at age 18 while sharing a bath with him together um, because he wanted to like show that he'd grown up from the like, I consider it to be similar to like the ancient Greek idea of male homosexuality where like an, an older man like tutors a young man mm. in, in masculinity and apparently to like convey to the court that he had moved beyond this childish man fucking. Uh, he he killed his best friend in a bath, uh, which they do a good job of making him seem pretty off too. Like Tokugawa Iemitsu is a is a weirdo who made the shogunate the way it is, and I'm I love that they gave like a historical sounding reason for why Japan closed its borders. It, it almost seems like plausible that like oh that's why they closed their borders because they had a, they had a massive plague that weakened them, and so they had to keep up this this facade with the with the Western powers to make them not know that they were a nation without men for for decades and centuries yeah but yeah it it kind of has to like be like oh the 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 weird line that they have to walk with a lot of the authority figures who are all like kind of unworthy in a strange way i don't know Mm -hmm. it's hard to comment but like the people who wield power have power foisted upon them and are all kind of unequal even kasuga who has rebuilt the shogunate after the pandemic went away Sorry, I said pandemic and had like a <laughs> just like yeah before my eyes. <laughs> I like how that that framing episode did so much work for what followed, and I think like you you mentioned the the relationship with the foreign powers and like in that first episode, the new new shogun meets the I think it's the Dutch ambassador. And mm. he makes a statement, and they reply directly. And the sort of chamberlain is like, "No, no, no! You can't reply directly to him. You have to sort of like speak to someone else who speaks to him." And as it becomes clear how this is developed, that clearly comes back from when they were having to hide the shogun. They had to have a male. Um, how do you call it? They had to assume a male dominance as opposed to a female dominance. Yeah, pretext, a, a front, a facade. Yeah, even. they had to have a. Mm. Uh, someone pretending to be the shogun while she's she's out back out of sight and as as we learn more that's clearly a relic of well you don't speak to him directly even though he knows you are the shogun it dates back to when he didn't know that when even their closest allies abroad they had to hide this from and like they bring up the persecution of the Christians. Oh yeah, that's a convenient excuse. We can blame shutting down uh, the country on uh, persecuting Christians. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I want to know though? What's happened to all the bears? Because like, if if the smallpox comes from bears, and like, have all the ma- male bears died? Is, is it like just a court of sorry, female bears uh, holding? Sorry, Duncan, you've been you've 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 lived too long in pandemic world. Now you're asking you're asking disease questions. This was obviously because he went to pick the first mushrooms of the season too early, mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. A god. <laughs> Which they warned him about. Yes, they, they did. warned him about that. And he that. fucked everybody over. Absolutely ruined <laughs> everyone. That piece of shit. I'm glad he died. <laughs> but yeah, like, I, I think that that is honestly what you said, Duncan, of like these, these traditions that we know have different reasons and existed in our timeline for the shogunate. The way that the show, very smart, the, the, really it was the, you know the manga author, but both the manga and the anime, how they smartly recontextualize them with like, oh, here's another really plausible reason for why this would happen. And here's a really plausible reason for why this would happen. And it really shows us that like institutions in Oku don't have a separate reality. They are products of history that make no fucking sense if you just approach them as a space alien. Mm. And the most unjust one, the one that comes from Yimetsu's 
rape when she's first brought in to the uh, the Oku. The, the the idea of the secret Swain who must be executed silently and just disappear from the records that that one ha- obviously has no justice to it has no reason to it but it existed for centuries because someone had an experience that changed her life and decided that that was an important part of all future instances of that experience and just the keenness with which the show perceives the Potemkin village that is all the rituals we follow to make political society function is so good that like, even when I was just like, God, I hope no one's cock goes into anyone else's butt in this <laughs> next episode. Cause I just don't, I don't have it in me to watch another rape male or female, but it's probably going to be male given the subject matter. But I'd, I'd still see it because it's, it's compelling to mm. watch how these characters change, how Ari, Ari Toko changes from this just reincarnation of the Buddha to the head of the Oku, mm-hmm. the one who is most instrumental after Kasuga passes into making all these these cruel, dehumanizing, commodifying traditions into a coherent set of offices. He's the one handing out, we have a scene of him handing out offices and stuff. And just like the keenness with which the author perceives how these things develop, how they fester, how what you're not allowed to have, you have to build an, a tradition in an office around the reason why you can't have it. So good. Absolutely stupendous. I, even though it's a difficult show to watch, I, I'm glad I took the time. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was really impressive how there was almost a moment where Arikoto, where he switches from those. Like, it's a slow thing, but there's this moment where he's sitting down across from uh, Kasuga, and he's like, how can you allow all this, like, horrible injustices and pain and violence? And she's like... The alternative is war, and it, if war happens, then that is worse than anything else. Peace, peace is the reason all this injustices must continue because the shogunate must continue because otherwise there's war. Yeah, and it's 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 clearly someone who grew up during the Sengoku Jidai and saw like that being the ultimate fail state of a country. Not not to be the biggest fucking gamer in the world saying that. But at the same time, further on, even when Kasuga, they've secured an heir and the threat of war is gone because there's no men, they don't fall into the typical like glib feminist proclamation of like, there'll be no more war if there's no more men. Like, no, it's just the fear of war, just the knowledge that even with all that's changed in society, these circumstances once upon a time brought the society to, to the brink of, of disintegration of, of the, the empire of Japan ceasing to exist. You just can't risk getting rid of what worked before. You just have to find a way to adapt it. It's just, it's very well crafted in that sense. And you, there's never someone who you're fully tempted, except for the the petty bullies who are almost beneath your notice. There's never really any sort of prompting to find someone as the bad guy of this situation. Like even Kasuga, who seems awful, just just a just a rotten twisted up person inside from all that she's been through like she as you said she sees that she, she thinks that she's stopping a war she thinks that she's saving an entire country by like snidely to to Arikoto being like you'll never sleep with her again and it, it'll be a good thing and you will love it and thank me and it's just it's how cruelty is used to to define these social relationships but it's never the cruelty is never the point as opposed to today <laughs> Uh, <laughs> one thing just to move on to sort of like the more technical as- aspects of the things sure. 
I think you pointed this out early on, uh, but it does have a really bad case of similar face uh, with some of the. Uh, yes. It's like which I feel is purposeful. I feel that there's. I mean, yeah, they def- they make a plot point of it in that, like it's like oh we've got to find someone who looks exactly like Akihito to be uh, the the shogun's new lover. Put a gun to my head, I could not. I could not say if either of them looked particularly alike or not alike each other. <laughs> It's it was a hairstyles anime for me, which is always yeah. kind of a yeah yeah that that is a... but the women the women all look very different because mm. women are now allowed to be like fat and freckled and even the reformist shogun from the frame story has like a weirdly wide mouth that's always kind of frowning it's it's it reminds me of how like yeah in boy love manga like oftentimes all the men are just like weird weird handsome giraffes and the women are the one who are allowed to like really which kind of is an art way of paralleling the situation of the genders yeah, in the certainly. in the plot specifically. Yeah, yeah. That is, I I thought as as well that uh, the VA was generally very good. I think like standouts are probably like I mean they are the the heavyweights, but Arikoto and uh, Kasuga, I think, and Iemitsu, the female one, obviously not the not the men. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Lady Chie, as we might call her. In a they were world. the free standouts, and they they had to be because they had to carry the whole thing. But they're talking so fucking much in this. Yeah, <laughs> um, and and if you don't have people who can put a, like as you say, like Kasuga could just have been a, a complete villain, and like you you need a combination of performance and writing to stop someone being that. And I think you had a good script and a good performance working in harmony with each of those central three. They were all had very believable relationships with each other and the way they talked felt like people who have been dealing with each other for year after year in particular some like the as you as you sort of outlined there before ben like the petty hurts they could occasionally slip in and like two people who you think oh yeah they've kind of reconciled and they'll slip in like this petty little dagger to someone's most wounded bit of pride and and all that makes is them hurt each other like it like this kind of like grudge holding and viciousness like never produces anything the guy who bullies arikoto the most when he gets there dies a horrible embarrassing death because someone decides to give him a taste of his own medicine and it doesn't feel good like no one feels good about what happened but it is just like it's very clear that you have to act in good faith even if you're among these like abusive nonsensical institutions that are trying to force you to in the case of a lot of people literally be someone you're not everyone gets new names the women have to take on male names. The Imetsu is fond of humiliating her concubines by giving them like showy female names like Oman and Otama and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, let me know if you watch the rest, Andy, even if we don't talk about it on the podcast. I do want, I do, I think it's, it's unfortunately kind of just a visually boring show, which I know is often a stumbling block for you. But I do think in terms of like, juicy drama you'll at least never yeah. find the well going dry <laughs> i mean it's a studio dean so i wasn't expecting it to look particularly gorgeous but like i i found that the like you said the political interpersonal relationships from the first episode i really enjoyed so i will keep watching it. i didn't realize it was all out i thought it was weekly like everything else nope all out. i thought so too which is why i watched the first one at two in the morning but, uh, <laughs> but yeah they dumped it all and you know what better that way i don't like weekly releases <laughs> yeah well <laughs> one other shit one other show that i i think worked better as a single continuous um block as opposed to weekly episodic stuff uh the dangers in my heart which i believe duncan you watched the first episode yeah 
and I bounced off. So tell me why you didn't. Mm, okay, because the first episode, I would say if you just watched the first episode, yeah, I would understand why you bounced off. But if if I was to be so bold and say you watched the second episode, <laughs> I think I think you might like it a lot more. Um, it is a uh, a, ro- a, uh, a comedy romance, as all the good ones are, between um, a guy called Ichikawa and his um, crush, uh, Yamada Anna. And uh, he is a introspective um, sort of Chunibyo-esque guy who who wants to, who reads stories about serial killers and wants to murder, at, at least in the first episode, wants to murder Anna um, because she is so beautiful and he can't let her live, not really understanding his own thoughts and emotions. Then it turns out that Anna starts going to the library just to eat snacks. And he is then very angry and annoyed that she is invading his own safe space where he can just be left alone to read books on serial killers. And <laughs> it is um, is a romantic comedy of two people who are very diametrically opposed to each other, falling in love. And the thing that I really loved about it is by episode, say episode like two or three, you find that Ichikawa realizes that he's in love with her. And then slowly later on, Yamada realizes that she's in love with him. And it is this lovely show where from the looking at Ichikawa from the first episode and looking at Ichikawa from the last episode, you can see his transformation. You can see his way in trying to be um, a tool appealing to Yamada makes him change into a better person. And it's really sweet. And then also you see in Yamada, like her realizing that she is in love with Ichikawa makes her sort of change in not as drastic a way because you don't see it from her point of view. But you do still see that her like being brave, being forward thinking that she tries to push herself to appeal to Ichikawa, which then Ichikawa views as a way as like one of the reasons why she loves Anna. And it is a manga, it was a show that by the end, they are in love with each other and you know they're in love with each other. They just haven't verbalized it, but you, but they have held hands, they've gone on dates, they've done all the cute things apart from actually asking each other out. And I think the thing that I really love is by the end of every episode always ends with a sort of like a, like a docky docky moment, like, like a heart flutter, a, remem- a remembrance of your first love this feeling of, of like overwhelming happiness and excitement to know what's coming next because the show has a great sense of pace, has a great sense of, of what, is, what raises the stakes in a romance show that other romance shows, like any of the ones that we've watched previously, like you, you name them, there's... Um, there's, okay, oh, tell us what it does, and then we can tell you what shows do it as yeah. well. The, the, <laughs> that's the way to go. We've been I'm doing trying. this whole episode. Well, <laughs> uh, like, well, yeah. I mean, like, you got Tagagi San, you got fucking uh, Nagatoro San, or the Nagatoro San gets in there in the second season. You got the the fucking what's the one where they don't talk? That woman doesn't talk. Fuck my life. Oh, Comey can't communicate. Comey can't communicate. But like, the the main. It's not even necessarily the only one, but that's no, one it's not. But but like. Komi-san can't communicate is a perfect example where it's like she is she is such a flawless character and the jokes revolve around her being flawless whilst in this 
like Yamada is beautifully imperfect. Like just seeing her be adorably dumb where she's trying to fill up some water for one of those like mixing, you know, those sweets. She basically loves sweets and everything she is involved is about her eating sweets, which is always really Uh funny. And like, do you know that's you know that thing where you like you mix you you get some water then you mix a powder and you put it in and then you fit it into a thing and it makes like a little like mold sports drink no no oh. no it's like oh, a sweet like, no, like oh, a, oh, you a, mean, do you mean gelatin no 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 it's like a Japanese craft sweet thing if you don't know oh, what I'm don't talking know this about shit. but no, yeah there's a, there's a lovely bit in the second episode where she just goes to a tap to fill up the water of this like tiny little bucket that the that the sweet provides. And then runs back. And by the time she's run back so excited, she's just spilt it all on the floor. So she oh. then like gets there, realizes it's empty, and then turns around. And then Ichigawa like watches her do this three times. She's like, why doesn't she just bring a cup? And it like it's it's that sort of frustration that then rate makes her go, him go to the home ec to get a cup. At which point she has then taken the sweets and taken it to the tap so that she could fill it out of the tap. And it's I know it's like these these adorable little cute moments that just keep building and building and building in ways that other romances don't do, and I I absolutely loved it to the point in which I finished the last episode and then I just devoured all of the manga, okay. like up to where it is hmm. now. And the manga, I can believe that if you read the manga as it came out, it would be painfully slow. But as I read uh. the manga, like straight after the anime i fucking loved it (laughs) and the thing that i absolutely loved about the this adaptation is it takes moments not just from the manga source material but also from these twitter excerpts the anime the mangaka does he like draws on twitter he does like some few like single panels of them like talking and deepening their relationship and it's completely throwaway but they've put some of them in to the point where you're like they've clearly dissected the manga done about like three four volumes and they've gone like this is the good stuff this is the stuff that we can we can cut the dream the dream the fucking dream it's the fucking dream (laughs) and the the, where the manga is is they've confessed they're going out and now they're in like the relationship phase which is absolutely beautiful like i cried when they confessed it was gorgeous and, and there was moments in this manga where I also welled up. I was like, oh man, I can't believe they're doing it. And, and it, I don't know, it just hits differently, this romance, than other romances does purely because it understands the, the delicate line of making this character who is in, initially unlikable, you, you sort of see him change and see him be a soft boy and see him become a good boy and... You love that. And then you also love Yamada for not being perfect. She's actively un- imperfect. And that is what's so great about her. I love it. I-, I can't say enough good things. I'm absolutely in love with this anime. I'm absolutely in love with the manga. And I can't wait for the second season of the anime. And I can't wait to see where they go next. It's great. That's a great recommendation. Mm. When it comes out, I might binge the first season. Yeah. I remember it being quite visually solid. Like, not spectacular, but uh, just... No, it- yeah, it, it's looking. solid. It's visually solid. It doesn't ever want to push the boat in any sort of like yeah. big ways, but it's it knows what is works and it does it very well. The first the first season's all on high dive. Uh, the first vol the like all twelve episodes are out and they're done and it's gorgeous. And I would say if you 
if you want to see what Komi-san could have been, I'd say <laughs> I'd say watch uh, the dangers in my heart because I you you used to be a Komi-stan and and now, I, and I now... still I still am, but this does it better. It does the romance nah. element better. Dude, no, nothing is worse than watching an anime and being like, I like this anime. And then like two years later, you watch it and you're slowly like, oh my God, this is what I was enjoying from that first anime. But it's actually like well executed. I'm not, I'm not picking out flecks of gold yeah. in the, in I, the refuse. And, and every, every part after the, the, the second or third episode, every episode made my heart flutter, made my heart race, made, made me want to see where it goes next because it's a fucking delight. I, okay. I can't say much more I'm, about I'm really glad, glad to hear it's gone in that. Because I remember l- last season, um, I, I'd, I'd bounced off that and you were talking about um, uh, Kubo won't let me be invisible and saying, oh, this is this is terrible. This is just like this social non-existence idiot falling in love with this perfect girl and it just being terrible. And I thought, oh, well, this is blatantly just going to end up the same as that. And I'm, I'm so glad to hear that it's ended up having a bit more to it and, and knowing how to actually show a romance yeah, because bit Kobu, by bit. Kobu Won't Let Me Be Invisible has this really gross sort of line where she is actively trying to make him like fall in love with her. Like, at, Anna is not making her fall in love. It's a natural romance that blossoms between them because they are just, they just know each, they just get to know each other. And then they're more and more interested in it. Um, I would say, Duncan, you would enjoy it if you like a romance. I think you shouldn't about, you should go back to it. And to be fair, it went under the radar too for me until Mids was like, I want to watch this show. And then I was like, cool, we'll watch it. So it's gotten the big thumbs up from Mids. And okay. if my word means nothing, Mids is definitely means something. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's like, if you don't watch this, next time you visit, I'll point it out to Mids and she'll destroy you. You should watch it, don't you? Should, everyone should watch it. Yeah, it's just, a, it's quite a busy season. We'll, we'll it, it see, we will see. It'll be one of those shows where maybe I'll revisit in a, a future time. Yeah, anyway, two other shows I just quickly wanted to mention. Because uh, I, I never watch old things. I watched the first two OVAs of Yokohama Kaidashi Kikoku uh, in, whilst on the plane to Denver. And I enjoyed it. It was nice to see the manga <laughs> that I like adapted in a way that felt very lovely. I think what was very interesting about it was a lot of the camera shots were always visually down. Like they were always looking at the floor. They were always looking from the ceiling to the like the the open air and it which in a way felt sort of like a cctv like a literal fly on the wall uh and then when it wasn't like a fly on the wall it felt like it was like looking down at the ground to show the destruction of the ground and like a puddle and then she would like run over if you don't know about it it's it's a it's a very old manga now probably in like uh, we did it we did it we did a spotlight on it we're fine <laughs> oh did we oh i completely <laughs> yes, didn't do that did. <laughs> yeah well i enjoyed it then i won't talk about it and then yeah. finally uh, well, also... Real quick, real quick. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's interesting because I was thinking about when I was rewatching Heike Monogatari, I read a, a Naoko Yamada interview where she said that she always, she feels like a woman's perspective is always looking up. And so when she made like Kaon, and I noticed that this followed her into Heike Monogatari, she always has from a slightly below level looking up most of her shots are. So it's interesting how you can kind of like convey based on a default downward look versus a default upward look, how you can convey different moods. Um, yeah. yeah yeah it's good uh, I, it, yeah no and and it's a lovely beautiful slow re- what like show which shows the world 
beautifully ending and i liked it and i liked it in comparison with uh tengoku daimakyo as well like it felt like a good companion piece and you've got as we've talked about at huge length a, a completely iconic uh soundtrack which i'm, I'm sure mm-hmm. you would have got a lot oh, out yeah. of oh definitely yeah yeah, yeah 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 um and then finally i just wanted to mention i watched in the cinemas the tunnel to summer the exit of goodbyes uh, which is another sort of like romance mystery sci-fi about uh, the theory that there is a tunnel which um, you can get whatever you want, but you go a thousand years in the future and then two people find it. And then they, uh, one person wants to find his lost, like his dead, he wants to revive his dead sister and the other one wants to become a great mangaka. But then they go around and they basically like fall in love but it feels really weak. It feels like it, it didn't work basically for me on a fundamental level. Like they sure it, it's, it's what you'd expect. Like they fall in love. They then have to leave because he wants to find his, like he wants to get his wife, his sister back. And she doesn't, she wants to become a great mangaka. He leaves her and says like, you can't be a great mangaka down this tunnel. You have to find it your own way. The man, all the tunnel gives you is stuff that you've lost. It won't give you the ability to be a great mangaka. You already are a great mangaka, blah, blah, blah. And then there's quite a sweet moment. So basically, like, the tunnel works at a different time rate than outside. So one second in the tunnel means like is like four hours in real life or something like that. And so she, he then, like, basically jumps way into the future while she's stuck living the real life time and graduates and becomes a mangaka and then he gets all these text messages and then realizes he has to go back it's it's like a very it's a very trope telling of a romance but i i felt that they didn't really nail the characters i felt that the 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 imagery was painfully plain and obvious to a point where Mm, they went on like it was really painful to the point where i i think back to other man other series or or shows which has similar imagery, but is done so much more beautifully and so much more subtly that I'm like, it's not as easy as it looks. Because so as an example, they go on a date to an aquarium and then they're walking through one of those like tunnels where there's like the aquarium mm-hmm. above them. Yeah. And then they're having an argument. And in the whilst they're walking, the shot is like of the tunnel in the background. They're walking towards the camera. And then whilst they're walking, there's two giant CGI whales above them that are swimming away from each other when they're not agreeing. And then together when they are agreeing with each other. And I'm like, oh, God, that's so painful. That's so like my first fucking directorial debut. I mean, also (laughs) like aquariums are blatantly at a point where any good animation studio just gets to once again show oh yeah we can do distortion through glass we can do fish moving yeah. through water like and, we can we can do, do all this like, stuff they do do all that stuff as well but it, it it's it's not as beautiful as say like uh like as sort of like suzume or or any of those people or like mm-hmm. wolf children or yeah. like uh and the names are escaping me now but it's just <laughs> it's just not done to that level okay of beautifulness and it's yeah, it really, it was really disappointing. I, I really wouldn't recommend it. Uh, but I also <laughs> feel that there is an audience out there that really connected it, connected to it, but it just wasn't me being a 30-something-year-old person. It's probably a very upset, like, teenager who, who, was, who really 
connected to these characters, um, but not me personally. I, I really didn't enjoy it. The thing that I did like, I'll give you two things I did like. One thing that I liked was it was purposely set in like 2008. And so with that, it spent a lot, it had a lot of pleasure showing you how an old phone booted and how you type with an old phone and how an old phone has its own unique charging cable and all that kind of shit, which was enjoyable. And secondly, I saw it in a cinema and this movie is like no big names attached to it, apart from one guy who's kind of related to, to, to Digimon. So the fact that a movie like this, someone took a punt and was like, I think this can flourish in the cinema. This can make money in a in an a Western audience. It's hopeful. It shows that that there is a that there is more and more anime coming out. Yeah, and, people want to bet on the big names, but yeah. like at a certain point, people are going to make start moving beyond that, and even yeah. beyond just Mamoru Hosoda and Makoto Shinkai. And yeah. I think that they're going to find that there are a lot of surprisingly good movies out it's there. It's like spin the wheel, and maybe we get your name. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or or or, uh, or or Inuo, right? Like, yeah, and and although Masaka Yuasa is not exactly unproven in the U.S. Yeah. box office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it. So. I don't know. I'm gl- I will always see an anime movie in the cinemas if it's there. Uh, this was not the one that was worth seeing. But I'll. But what? Hey, you, but yeah, you, you spun the-, the wheel too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't regret it. I don't regret supporting an industry that I love. Um. <laughs> well, since you got to talk about two, I'm going to quickly talk about two. First, I finished Bubblegum Crisis 2040. Uh, it is the worst Chiaki Cone script <laughs> I've ever seen, and it is mostly historically notable. <laughs> for being the first post-Evangelion fiction work to steal instrumentality for its own ending. So I'm glad that happened, but the the back core, all the monsters started melting, all the boomers, the robots started melting together, and the rest of the show is them just fighting this ever-merging, like, instrumentality mass of boomers. And I'm also still watching the second season of Arya. I wish there were less supernatural stories but I am plugging on. I'm hoping to get to Ara Battler Dinbine so that Jeff and I can do a tween of it in the near future. But for now, our next episode will probably be a tween of two related movies to every you I've loved before and to me, the one who loved you. If you're in the US, they're on Crunchyroll. If you're not, mm-hmm. I don't know what the streaming's they're on Crunchyroll landscape too. is. We're going uh, we okay, to spin too. that wheel and we're going to see what they're like. No, yeah. yeah, they're yes. on Crunchyroll too, but we are spinning yes. that wheel. Yes, yeah. don't don't read ahead if you're going to read along with us. Just just watch the two movies and come in. I hear they're, they're kind of unique. And in the meantime, rate, review, and subscribe to us on the podcast platform of your choice. Find us on Twitter at KeyframesPod if you can make your way through that whole apocalypse thing going on there. Uh, on Facebook, we're Keyframes Podcast. Just search for it. Email us questions, keyframespodcast at gmail.com. And most of all, tell a friend. But not just any friend, Ben. I'll tell the friend uh, who managed to find 3,000 men to hold in a room <laughs> forever. <laughs> it's a reservoir. It's like the uh, the American cheese reservoir or the Canadian maple syrup the reservoir. Can- <laughs> the, yeah. It's not even a joke. Not even a joke. I'll link it in the show notes. No, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. The, the, <laughs> like, what, have you seen the Dirty Money episode about the great maple syrup heist? I have. I have Fucking- indeed. Fucking beautiful love it 
I can't believe it. And also while we're recommending uh, unrelated things, Shin Kamen Rider is really good. It's Shin Master Rider on Amazon Prime. Watch it now. <laughs> Say goodbye, everybody. Bye. 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 It is really good, though.